0: Welcome, welcome everybody to a wonderful new episode of Third Shift. I, of course, am Mr. Eric. And if you're wondering what episode this is, it is 164. Oh yeah, it's the big 164. You know, the next episode is going to be the 165, which puts us live on the fives. Will we do it? I don't know. You'll have to wait and find out. But for today, I've got more important news, a bigger and better and a brighter future for us all here at Third Shift. Because not only do I have the inglorious bastard himself, Mr. Matt, here today, I have a very special guest. Very, very, very special guest. Yes. And that, of course, is Randy Varnell of Gearbox, the big narrative crazy man behind all sorts of cool (laughs) stories. Behind all sorts of cool stories. He's here today with us to have a whole bunch of fun, talk about his career, where he's been, where he's going, where he's at, and of course, some Borderlands 3 stuff, Battleborn stuff, Borderlands 2 stuff, and any other thing that we concoct during this wonderful episode So, before we get jumping in on any of this, we got to do what we always do, and that's talk about our weeks. And because my week is always the most boring, uneventful of them all, I'm going to start. I feel like I should be the one to go first. So I'm going to introduce my week. All right? Here we go. So, besides the video games being Borderlands 3 and Destiny 2 Shadowkeep, that is all I've been doing. I've been trying to play both. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <been> go- <laughs> nice yeah un- and I would say successfully but unsuccessfully in both because my goal was to have true volhunter mode done and be working on some of the mayhem modes right now however I'm still trucking through true volhunter mode because I got distracted with the wonderful weekly event of hunting the little uh, side bosses down true. and a rare spawns and getting all the weapons and other due digits and gadgets from them being a this was the perfect opportunity to do so because they were 100% spawning. So I figured, Very why cool. not? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had to. And of course, I had to go get El Dragon Jr.'s. Oh, you had to. Wonderful. Yeah. It Must. was, it was just, I had to get his. Mm-hmm. It was an artifact. Yes. The beautiful artifact. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I, I've got that. I'm happy. Everything is good in life. And then I was on Shadow Keep trying to keep up with my family members who were pressuring me to hurry up and get raid ready to go <laughs> in there and do the raid. And I'm very stressed out about it. I need to get up there. I don't have the time. You know, if only I didn't have a wife, children, and a job. I don't know. This is insane. It's
1: not going to happen I can't here. do it. Just give it oh, up.
0: Okay. All right. I'm sorry. Apologize. Gosh. Oh, sure. So, <laughs> with that, that's it on the game front. However, on real life front, I went camping for the very last time this season, folks. That's right. No more camping stories after this. Oh, Thank goodness. Yeah, I know, right? Everyone's sad, exactly. Oh, except for me. <laughs> <laughs> but you'd like this one because in September, you know, I always try to get two fall camping trips. And I was like, you know, and, and this is, I have to fight for this because the wife hates the cold. So she has, wants nothing to do with it. She wants to end camping at the end of August. So I've got to convince her that we're going to do a September one or an October one. So we went to the September one, and as I told you guys, it was not fall. It was 94 degrees and freaking raining and humid and disgusting out.
1: Mm-hmm. It was
0: miserable. I hated it. I did not enjoy it. I was not happy about it. So I said, well, that's all right. You know what? We're going to have fun with the last one. This one we just went on this weekend in October. For sure, it's going to be cool, breezy weather. Leaves are changing. Wonderful out. Well, guess what? We're pulling in, and it's storming, raining. It's about 37, 38 degrees outside. Mm-hmm. I'm setting up. I'm chugging up the... You know, getting the, getting the camper all set up, putting up the thing. Oh, I'm just pouring rain, just drenched to my freaking bones in this water. Cold as all get out. The rest of the family's hiding in the truck, waiting for me to get the whole thing set up. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, what is happening right now? This is miserable. Meanwhile, our guests are doing the same exact thing. So what do we do? We went to Applebee's. That's what you do in the cold. I'm going
2: to Applebee's. That's right.
0: We're going to Applebee's and we're getting food. So we go in there. And we're drenched to the bone. We look like rats. This is not an effective commercial. What do you oh, guys no? going?
1: We're going to Applebee's.
0: Going to Applebee's. That's all we've got. Oh, goodness. So we went to Applebee's and... The, uh, the waitress, she was super cool. She had a whole big bucket of candy, and she was giving the kids all sorts of candy, treating them all nice. They were all happy, you know, and, which was nice because if you don't know, when you go to a thing super late and the kids haven't eaten and they're cold or miserable, they tend to get grumpy. So we went ahead and remedied that because the waitress was super cool, got them candy, had them happy, allowed us to sit down and relax and eat. And the next day was that day. It was way colder than I wanted it to be, and the wind was going like a hundred miles an hour, but at least the you know you could see the leaves just falling away, the oranges, the colors, all the good stuff. everything I'd wanted was right there. We had a fire going the entire day, so we just sat there in our hobo gloves made out of deer skin, you know, just sitting there over the fire, having a sip of you know rum whiskey, whatever it was throughout the day. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a good day, and then I had an idea I said I should put up the gazebo in case it rains so that way we can kind of move on into the gazebo if needs be, because, you know, the clouds are in the sky and everything. And the other part of me, the smart part of me, said, no, that's a dumb idea because these winds are like 100 miles per hour right now. And, of course, I did it anyway. And, of course, the wind destroyed the gazebo. It, it oh, literally no. broke Yeah, it broke the whole thing right in half, crumpled <laughs> <up> into bits <laughs> and smashed it against a tree. And I was like, that's what I deserve. And that's, that's it. Yeah, I learned a lesson. I learned a $149 lesson. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it
1: wouldn't be an Eric camping story if there wasn't mm-hmm. something terrible Some happened. kind of
0: tragedy. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. That was it. I watched it happen. Great. I was sitting about 10 feet away, and I went, eh, ah, I don't care right now. I don't even care. <laughs> it's too late. Ripped it down, threw it underneath the camper, said, oh, whatever. I'll throw it in the trash in the morning. We'll buy a new one next year. It'll be fine. Finished the trip. It was a great time. And that's what I did. Now Fantastic. I'm here having another wonderful time. What about you, Matt?
1: Well, it's been a pretty good week on the video game front. Of course, did a little bo- bit more Borderlands 3. We try- I tried to snatch up some of those rare spawns that were popping up. Didn't get as much time as I wanted on that, but it still just feels so good to run around with my skag Mr. Beef and just have fun zipping here and there and trying to find rare spawns and doing good stuff. On the other video game fronts, finally beat Steinsgate Elite. Did myself a disservice for putting that off for so long because that's one of my absolute favorite visual novels, let alone just one of my favorite sci-fi stories that I've ever experienced, whether it's the anime or the game. So playing through that, seeing the true ending, which is the first time I've seen it because I watched the anime before playing the game and never got around to finishing it up. That ending's awesome. So I was, it was new and exciting and fun and the perfect capstone to that Steins Gate experience. So... That was a lot of fun. Also finished up Judgment, finally. Again, something I put off for too long. Story really ramped up well near the end, but it was kind of a a slog just because I wanted to get it out of the backlog in a way. So just hammering through story missions, doing all that good stuff. Other than that, outside of the video game front, finally went and saw Joker over the weekend, and I absolutely loved it. Obviously I won't talk about spoilers on the show or anything, but really good movie. I really enjoyed it. I've i I've heard some people say they didn't and I can see why, but it was it was it was great to me. And then what else did I do? Oh last night went and saw a performance by a group called Black Violin, which was a really cool mishmash of like classical music and hip hop. Really cool. well done. They had like they had a violinist, a DJ, a a drummer, and then another guy who did he would either sing or play more violin or do keyboards. It was a really cool, really cool mashup of I mean, just all those things. Like, I'm, I love hip hop, so I love that aspect of it. Played violin from fourth grade all the way up through senior year of high school. So, love seeing that. And they were just, they were awesome. Like, there was one point where they went into like a freestyle, like, you know, breaking it down, jam type session stuff. And one of the violin dudes had, I'm not a musician, so I I mean, this kind of musician, but he had one of those like guitar effect pedals. So, it made Mm. his violin go like wah, wah, wah. Mm. And it was, it was crazy awesome. I like, Everybody was like, oh my God, it was, it was great. So if anybody, if they're coming to your town, definitely go check them out. Anybody who's listening anywhere, they put on an awesome show, a lot of fun. And I think that was it for my week. So we're going to throw it to, now, Eric called you the, the narrative crazy man. And I want you to know <laughs> that when I, when I put the question... No, it's fair. It's fair. <laughs> well, when I put the question thing out there to our Patreon you know, people, I said the narrative King. So I'm just going to, I treat you a little better Aww. than Eric does. Oh, come on. Man. All right. So, We're wow. playing they, favorites they on the really show. got really deep in here all of a sudden. I know. Jeez.
0: <laughs> oh, <Pete. laughs> so, Welcome to my world, Mad Central, you know, the, that's right. Yeah, Ego mania. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I'm going to throw it to the narrative King, Randy Varnell. Let us know what you've been up to lately. And then we'll dig into the questions and all the history and all that good stuff.
2: Oh my gosh! Well, it's it's been it's been super busy. I you know we we don't really ever get a break. A lot of people are like, you ship the game now. Everybody's just you know enjoying time off and all that. And and mm-hmm. and we do start to take some time off kind of in shifts. But man, we're we like we've already got. So we've got the DLC that has four season pass deals. The season pass has four DLCs in it. We haven't gone into details of that. We're we've already got teams working on all of those. Believe it or mm-hmm. not. So. uh, I'm, I'm busy there. Uh, as well, we've got the, the, the micro events that you've already experienced. We've got the bloody harvest coming up and then the, the, the first takedown, which we'll have more details about soon. I'm not going to talk about it tonight because one yeah. of the big things I got to do this <laughs> week is I I got to fly out to San Francisco and I'll be a guest on the borderland show, uh, on October 30th. So this is going nice. to be the Randy Varnell, the month between uh, third shift and the borderland show and uh, a lot of cool information. So we, we talk cool. about that there. Um, uh at at work uh i did redacted and then i uh, did some more redacted <laughs> and then some more redacted so uh there's <laughs> awesome. uh, there's a look it's we're we're super excited uh borland says you know you you saw the first numbers that we put out like we sold 5 mm. million copies in 5 days and, mm. and it, it's continuing just to be really awesome to see how how much people like what we've done uh so uh, it just empowers us even more like, you know, everybody's doubling down We're actually we've actually increased some plans on what we're doing for support of Borderlands and post launch. And they were already aggressive. So, uh, you know, that that kind of fast patch support that we've spun up again with this. Uh, you oh, know, you'll yeah. see a lot more of that we're we're trying to find the right line between being responsive and meddling. And, you know, right. on any given week, you know, we, we hit it or not. So uh, that, that's a that's a fun one. But we we are we have a we're paying a lot of attention to the game right now, trying to be sure that it's set up for a very long life. You know, Borderlands 2 did well for seven years. And the pre-sequel mm-hmm. was was a really great add to that. So we want to set that up. Um, so that's that's my so that's professional video game, personal video game. Uh, I, I am playing through some Borderlands 3. I have, I have two characters I finished the campaign with, two characters that are halfway through, one character that's most of the way through true vault hunter mode. And this is just me playing with my friends. So I'm, mm-hmm. uh, and these are not gearbox people. These are when I come home at night, just my gaming buddies that I play with and hang out and, and it, it's cool. I use super private names that I, you know, it's, it's not even this Discord account when I, I, I do it. I have a, I have a nice. professional Discord account and a friend Discord account. Not that you guys aren't friends. But sometimes it's, sometimes it's nice just to be able to like, I don't want to talk work tonight. Let's just go shoot something. But, uh, yeah. we've been uh, doing that. Uh, I, I jumped into, uh, um, surviving Mars over the weekend. Uh, it was a, uh, it was one of the free things on the epic launcher this week. Uh, and I, I'm a old school, like survival sim game player. I mean, back in the day of like Caesar and Pharaoh and, and, and those games. And, and it really brought that, that back to me. It was really cool. So I'm playing through that kind of getting my feet under my legs under me. And then, uh, a, a co-op I'm also playing. I went back and, uh, we picked back up a uh, satisfactory with a friend. I don't know if you guys have taken a look at that. Uh, it's wow. like the first person 3d version of factorio. Uh, okay. again, it made by uh, the same guys that did like goat simulator and, and, uh, um, they've done some really, really, really cool stuff, but it's a, it's a really cool kind of, you build your own factory and conveyor belts and mass producing stuff and all that mm-hmm. in this massive map. And it's a, uh, that's kind of my chill game when I just need to relax and go. And, you know, at the end of the day, I get something working and it all works. And, you know, I don't have to fight nice. anybody about it. I don't have to argue with any about it. It's, it's kind of, <laughs> I, it's kind of as a producer, director type of person, it's, it's kind of my happy place. Nice. Like, you know, <laughs> the, 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 the constructors that make the stuff don't argue with me. They just, they just make things and it's awesome. Mm. It's so cool. <laughs> On, on just kind of media side, I finished a, new, a book uh, called the Sufficiently Advanced Magic, really cool uh, uh, fantasy book. It's kind of a blend between uh, Sword Art Online and Harry Potter. Okay. And it's kind of the easiest way to, to talk about it. Uh, it's a really, really cool book, a uh, bigger book, but uh, I liked it.
0: <laughs> I've been trying to convince Matt recently that we're going to go to Sword Art Online soon. It's going to be <laughs> the best thing in the world and that he wants to abandon his real life and come with me in the
2: Sword Art Online. Uh, <laughs> oh, that would be that. That's kind of every nerd's dream, right? Like, exactly. Oh, yeah. It's probably why there's yeah, yeah. Man, There's so many anime that cover that topic of getting sucked mm-hmm. into oh, a virtual yeah. world and stuck there. But this one was uh was not so much the sucked into a virtual world part. What I, what they do is that you know in Sword Art they have the um the towers that are the dungeons that everybody goes into, and and yeah. in this world there are these kind of dungeon spires that have shown up all over the world. And all of society kind of is, is geared about going in there because you can find items and get new magical powers and every kingdom has a different spire. And so it's kind of evolved in politics. So there's not so much, you know, virtual world, real world. It's all a cohesive fantasy world, but it's got that. And then, a uh, of course, all of the, the Harry Potter esque, like schools that have developed around the teaching, the people who do the tower runs and all it's a, it's a really neat concept and really well realized in a, uh, I think the, the guy, I'm going to forget the guy. who's uh, the writer's name now, but he was a designer at Blizzard and, uh, I think Obsidian and a few other places. And, and mm-hmm. you really feel kind of the RPG design that goes back into this in the way he describes the world and the characters and all. A really cool, real cool book. Uh, nice. and then, uh, uh, two more things and then we'll move on to your real show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, finally finished, uh, the first uh, TV season of What We Do in the Shadows. Uh, oh yeah. tremendously oh, that's good that's
0: such a good that's such a good gosh bless yeah I, wonderful I,
2: I, I love the movie <laughs> finally finished the tv mm-hmm. show was delighted by it I, I can't wait for the next one and then have just kicked off uh they just released the newest season of one of my one of my favorite new comedy shows ever uh called letter kenny i don't know if you guys have watched this yet it's also on hulu i, I think one. that they've just uh, assumed them but there's like eight seasons it's Man, it's so hard to explain what Letter Kinney is. It's uh it is a it's kind of a little story TV show. It's 30-minute episodes, uh set in Alberta, Canada, around these Hicks, the farmers there. And um they you have Hicks and Goths and hockey players, and it's kind of how they all interact in this tiny little redneck town uh and how they come together. But what really makes the show awesome is it is amazing. Comedy writing, some of the best comedy writing. Uh, it, it's almost like you ever watched like the Aaron Sorkin stuff, like West Wing, or, or even almost like Gil- Gilmore Girls or stuff like that. The comedy mm-hmm. has like the really fast firing dialogue. That's yeah. what this is, and it just so much of the show is everything is just kind of a setup for them to do a five minute thing on on I, you know I don't know whatever topic they're on this week. They mm-hmm. they it's. It's so good. The characters are so strong. The writing is really great. Letterkenny, it's Letter Kenny, it's L E T T E R, just like it sounds. Uh, mm-hmm. I would, I would love people to go check that out because it is a, it's not for the children. Uh, they, they use a, they use colorful language, as we say in the industry, that's but, uh, fantastic. but it's a, it's a fantastically good show, really tight writing. And, and that's a lot of my bag these days. So I get really excited when I find good comedy writing out there in the wild.
0: Well, lucky for me, we're going to be switching over to that new Disney Plus soon, which comes with uh, if you get it through the. Oh, you are doing the bundles? Yeah, yeah, I'm doing the whole bundle, so Sweet. I'll have the Hulu Plus here pretty soon. So I'll be able to check it out. I think what's that, November first, when that comes out? Something oh man, like not
2: don't. not soon enough. I am a mega, mega, super Star Wars nerd. Oh yeah, Can't I mean, wait. like my Star Wars runs very deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the 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 uh, the Mandalorian is been yes. on my radar since it was first announced and i've i've wanted a great star wars live action series since i was itty bitty so yeah. mm, i'm ready
0: i'm hoping it scratches i'm hoping it takes care of everything we needed to and it's good and freaking solid i have hopes i have hopes that's why we're switching to it
2: it's got good mm-hmm. people right i mean john favreau mm-hmm. who really kicked off oh, yeah. the, all the whole marvel stuff with uh with iron man back in the day and has been kind of a guiding light for all of that is the one at the helm here so mm-hmm. i i have very high hopes for this one he's he's one of my favorites and i think he's going to treat it real well
0: we'll, we'll see we're going to find out and of course i convinced the wife to get it because it has all disney in it so it's a win-win for me uh-huh. i get the star wars side she gets all the disney movies all the disney shows the kids are happy yeah, yeah. everybody's happy oh
2: i did watch the new live action aladdin today on the plane and was not disappointed
1: Yeah, I thought it was pretty good when I caught it uh, in theaters a little while ago. So, yeah.
2: I think it's just a little shy of the classic because, man, it's so hard to top that. But Will Smith was great. Everybody was worried about him. I thought it was great. I thought the genie effects were fine. Um, Mm. I I liked everything else in the movie. I thought it was a lot of fun. It it reminded me that I really liked that story. So it was a really cool experience.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So, Randy, if that's it for your week.
2: Yep, I'm good. Let's go.
0: (laughs) All right. It's time to dig in. Good, sir. So, of course, as I told you, we're going to start from the very beginning, you know, and cool. we always go, Hey, how did you start? Where did you start? How'd you end up in the gaming business? Because you're, you know, a little bit older than we are. So there's a different story behind it. Whereas a couple people we've talked to are kind of the same age as we are and how they got in. It's going to be interesting to see how you ended up in this world because it was the Wild West back then. <sighs>
2: Yeah, and you know me, I can talk. So if I ever stop talking too long, you know you you can just push a beeper or something and say speed oh, yeah, it up no. or whatever. But um, <laughs> well, the
0: beautiful part is that this is of course pre-recorded, so you,
2: you know, can always. And we're like, all right, Randy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Well, you know, I, I I think I'm that I'm that weird generation. I was uh, I was born in '71, um, and when my childhood, you know, it's one of the reasons, you know, I talk about star Wars. I was six when star Wars hit the theater in 77. It was one of the first major movies I can remember going to. And it, 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 changed me, right? It's like, for the first time, I realized that this imagination could be turned into something real and, and tangible like this. And, and of course, I, you know, I had all the sto- all the books, all the, all the toys, all the everything I've, I've still got a closet full of star Wars toys, just literally 10 feet behind me here in, in my, in my game room at home. And, uh, nice. I, that, you know, that was big. And at the same time, it was the same generation, you know, in the, in the seventies and early eighties there that, uh, I remember when I was six or seven, my dad came home with an Atari 2600, one of the first really major video game consoles. I think that really hit there were a few other, we actually have one of those little Sears things before that, that had like four games with it. And you had oh, like yeah. shoot mm-hmm. the ball or play the simple pong or whatever like that. But mm-hmm. when my dad came home with the Atari 2600 uh again another thing that just really really kind of made me me in a lot of ways and i Mm -hmm. i i bought you know we bought everything i remember finding the magic dot and adventure and you know when ready player one did that last a couple of years ago i was like ah i did that (laughs) i did that i was that dude i know where you need to go go this way go the wrong way i I still have brain cells (laughs) devoted to that right Mm
1: -hmm.
2: so and then uh in uh in the early 80s i think it was fifth grade for me uh my dad came home with the Commodore 64, and I was really angry because the VIC-20 the Vic was the superior gaming computer, at the at, I thought. Uh, boy, was I wrong. Uh, I, I had that Commodore 64 for years and years and years, and uh, I, I won't ever admit to pirating games uh, for no, it. No, but no. but <laughs> I will say that I played most of the games that were available to the Commodore 64 uh, between my best friend and I uh all the ultima games by you know by by the richard garriott and origin uh all mm. of the all of the the derivations there the first bard's tale games man that's all the ssi games you know uh pool of radiance and and uh eye of the beholder hills far people don't even remember that nice. like game after game after game that 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 those things uh, and then I, I, from the time I was in third or fourth grade, you know, avid reader, I read all of Lord of the Rings for the first time in fourth grade, um, mm-hmm. uh, and was only beaten in my my class by Priscilla Yang, uh, which I'll, I'll curse continually, <laughs> who read War and Peace in the fourth grade. Uh, oh. So she won up to me. I thought I was doing great, but uh, she mm-hmm. was. She, I will. I will admit she was. Uh, she was smarter than I was, and uh, did a good job there. But <laughs> I've always been a reader. I've always loved media and imagination. Uh, video games, as a part of that, have been a big part of my life. I, you know, we talk about Fallout now, and how Fallout kind of played a part, and where Borderlands is today. Man, I played Wasteland before Fallout was ever a thought. You know mm-hmm. that 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 was an amazing game on the Commodore sixty four and. You know, those are the pieces that that went in there. But uh, when I went to when I went to college, I actually thought that I was going to go into ministry. I, I was super involved in my church growing up. I, my degree in college is actually uh, in youth ministry from Washita Baptist University in Arkansas and uh-huh. was doing a youth ministry was doing I uh, did a lot of music at the time uh did a lot of uh, music for for uh youth events and stuff all over the state of Arkansas and a few in Texas when we moved there and and I actually moved to Texas to uh to go to seminary thought I was going to do that but I was so done with school at the time I just couldn't imagine tacking another 2 or 3 years of school on top of what I've already done so mm-hmm. moved to Texas got married that same summer in uh, 984 I think that was uh, and, and got a job at a music store selling pianos. I'm i I'm a, by the way, I'm a terrible <laughs> salesman because I like to give things <laughs> away. You know, it's, it's like, I was, I remember a Battleboard even we were, we were working on some of the, the, the monetization design and microtransactions. And I'm like,
1: Oh,
2: I I know we need to but oh can you just just
0: uh, want them to have it <laughs> And
2: I mean you can probably see some of that in Battleboard because we we added so many things that we gave away to challenges and things you could complete in the game that didn't require oh, yeah. you to oh, yeah. buy anything and so I'm, yeah, you never want me to be that guy because I'm I'm just I want everybody to have everything and I'm I'm probably too generous. I'm I'm actually a really bad GM for that. You will get the the magic sword of 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 you know artifactness at level three nice. and then you'll you'll kill the I'm terrible.
0: You're, uh, you're, the, you're the DM who allows the the crazy moron who wants to do the dumb thing and then you just allow it. Cause can I know,
2: be a beholder yeah, ranger? Not? Yes, of yeah, course. Exactly. That sounds can great. I have why not? A
0: unicorn at level one, <laughs> sure. And, and the Let's wish go. though.
2: Yeah. That's mm. yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm that guy. So uh, anyway, I, you know, I did that for almost a year and then and then had a chance. And my college roommate had had uh, moved to Texas and had gotten a job at a little computer company called uh, um, uh, Macromedia. And this is in 95, right, right about the beginning of the dot com area. And I don't I don't know if you guys remember Macromedia, but they, were, they gave us Flash. Uh, Flash yeah. has mm-hmm. been on the Internet for a long time. I was at Mac. So I, I went and joined Macromedia with him. Uh, and then he left and he had a funny story for him. My, my college roommate, Scott Pickle, uh, went to, to Wizards of the Coast before they were anyone oh, nice. to, to start oh, wow. uh, the translation division for Magic the Gathering. They did all right. He went to uh, Microsoft and worked on the Xbox team and releasing the original Xbox. He was the webmaster on the original Xbox website, so yeah, he did all that. And he's now he's in like the FBI hunting down spies or something. I don't know. He's probably listening to the show right now. And and, I was gonna say I
0: probably have several friends who know him. Yes, I've done many (laughs) interviews for friends (laughs) getting in the FBI. (laughs) But uh,
2: he he got me into Macromedia and uh, just writing user manuals was my first thing there on a on a graphic piece of graphics design software called Freehand which was a competitor to uh, Adobe Illustrator and Corel draw during those days and and uh, spent eight years at Macromedia and moved from from I won't tell you all the story, but moved from documentation to kind of online help and from there into design and, and actually feature design. Uh worked on uh, a product called Fireworks, which was a really cool web graphics design tool that, that paired with Dreamweaver, which is which is Macromedia's flagship uh tool. And um I went there and then, uh, and then in the early 2000s, uh, the dot-com bubble burst. And MacroMedia, whose main company was in San Francisco, said, "We don't want you Texas people in Texas anymore. Move to San Francisco for a 10% pay increase." I'm like, "I don't think that's gonna happen, Chief. You know, it's, <laughs> that, that's that's a lot. That's a lot more expensive to live there." And and uh, so, you know, they weren't. They didn't. They they gave us a little bit of time to look around. And and uh, uh, at the time. Uh, There were there were some QA positions open in another local Dallas gaming studio called Ensemble Studios, uh, who everybody might remember for uh, Age of Empires was their Mm -hmm. big title. So they had just released uh, um, uh, Age of Mythology, which was their mythological RTS game. Uh, and were hiring on as they started to work on their first expansion. So I bailed on MacroMedia after really, really loving it there for eight years, and and stepped into the gaming industry, uh, literally in what we call kind of a, kind of the mailroom. Uh, you're again, you know, you're starting over at at QA, and and you're just testing. But was really hoping to break in and find a design job or move back around. But they just weren't looking for that. But I thought you know, get my foot in the door. I could meet some designers and. Spent two years there doing that. It was really close. They were doing some cool things. It was back in the day that Ensemble was going to go work on the Halo MMO and had actually started a prototype for that. And I was a big MMO fan. I, in fact, my name Jithri comes from. Mm-hmm. This is a old whole, whole other part of my life that's happening under the curtain here, where I'm I'm uh, doing some major community things in and gosh, EverQuest and then uh, uh, Anarchy Online and then Star Wars Galaxies all during that building big two or three thousand four thousand player role play communities and and those those eras vagabonds rest and star wars galaxies role play and the sore beard and a bunch of things that no one knows anymore they've they've faded into the annals of history but uh that 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 kind of other part (laughs) is really what what gave me a lot of really my practical game dev experience i didn't realize at the time i wish i would have someone would have told me but the stuff that I was doing to like run big community events and do all that. I was somewhere between a, a community coordinator, an events designer, a producer. I was kind of doing it all at once. And if someone would have told me like all I had to do is really like move to Austin or somewhere and I could be paid in the game industry for doing that, I would have done so in a heartbeat because it was, mm-hmm. I was, it was good stuff. I look back on it now and like, man, if I, if I found a junior designer that had my resume, I would hire them without blinking. Um it it was it was a a really neat time then and it was man those days with with Ultima Online to EverQuest to the, the you know the first few MMOs that really came I call them the pre-WoW days because World of Warcraft basically killed all innovation for about a, destroyed for everything. about a decade yeah. and it was really good I don't want to knock on Blizzard too no, was, much we'll save uh, that for later but <laughs> um, No we
0: won't no <laughs> well we can we can knock them now yes but I, I, you know, and it's funny because you mentioned EverQuest, and I won't barge in on your story, but I started with EverQuest, me and a buddy Lancor, you know, he used to play it back in the days when we lived in the barracks and stuff, and I was like, this is trash, this is terrible, because I was a console (laughs) player. I'd never seen an MMO, I don't know, what he he was like, this is the best, da-da-da, and he's showing me, he's trying to just get me into it, and he's trying to show me how awesome it is, and I'm like, you're walking for freaking an hour yeah. to get to oh, the yeah. town. Oh. I'm not wasting my time with this. I'm not doing it. And he's uh-huh. like, dude, you're crazy. This is it. It's an immersive world, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, I'm not sold. I'm not on board. And then, of course, a couple years later... I end up in the uh, the beta for World of Warcraft, yeah, and then, yeah. whee, way we go, you know, and I'm like, this is the best, I can't believe it, oh my gosh, MMOs are the best, woo-hoo-hoo! Uh-huh. <laughs> well,
2: WoW really did that, right? They they kind of took all of the friction points out of MMO and, and just really kind of commercialized them, made them very appealing to mass gamers, and without really losing some of the stuff that, that the core MMO fans loved, and then, you know, blended in a little bit of Diablo's loot system, and you've got a mega hit mm-hmm. on your hand, mm-hmm. so it was cool, but... Yeah, that was that those were those were neat times. So I went from uh, I was in ensemble for two years and then they decided they wanted to take a little bit of break from RTS games. And so Microsoft said, cool, you get to eject all your QA people into the wild. So I lost that job and it was it was tough. It was one of those times where, like, man, I've, I've had 10 years of really cool jobs. And, and <laughs> my next job was as a QA uh, manager at an insurance company. Uh, a company that that literally uh, they, they didn't even sell insurance. They were a support services company for. I'm going to tell you all this because I want people out there that are looking <laughs> to get a job. I want you to understand you'll walk through some dark days before you'll get your all dream right. jobs, right? Mm-hmm. So for four years, I worked at a company whose primary product was hooking. Insurance companies up with doctors for brokering paramedical examinations, or like we used to say, we, our job really was to see how fast we could get more people peeing in cups. That was really what we did. And, (laughs) uh, it was, it was literally office space, the job, you know, it Mm -hmm. was, it was gray boring cube land where slacks to work and after having been in like Cool com company and ensemble studios like, like man it was heart crushing for a few years there uh it was, <laughs> it was it was it was really difficult uh but after four years an opportunity came up in in dallas uh, a little company downtown dallas called mumbo jumbo and mumbo jumbo was a casual game company that that uh Really, rather than making games, what they were really good at is taking games that other people have made and and getting them distributed. So public, almost like a small publisher, like getting they got Bejeweled Two into Walmart, which was their crowning achievement back in the day, mm-hmm. right? So. And that, that made them millions and millions of dollars. And so they were hiring up and they were, they really wanted to become that, you know, at the time, the EA of casual games. Well, Mm -hmm. problem was EA also wanted to be the EA of casual games. And so did Microsoft. And so did Big Fish. And so did a lot of other people. And we were there for about two years before that bubble popped. And casual games is about the same time that we got smartphones with app stores and, and that, Mm -hmm. uh, that, that evaporated. So in 2009, uh, and uh, after after crunching an entire like we we had the whole speech we had to let all these people go in 2008 and then we got to the hall ho- right before the holiday season in 2009 we got the big lecture I think the five of us that were remaining like. Guys, we've got to get these products out for Black Friday. They've got to be there. You've got to have them in the stores, and there's just you're just gonna to have to work until they're done. And we were like certing stuff on the Wii, and we were putting stuff through the the DS lot check stuff at Nintendo, all those processes. And I think we even had something on uh, uh one of one of Microsoft's uh, uh, Microsoft Gaming Arcade or something. There, there we dude, we were we had all these games, and they had to be out, and it was gonna save the company. And I worked my butt off for like three months. I mean, like literally like 16, 18 hour days, most days with a bunch of other guys and really, really, and we shipped everything. I even stared down Nintendo to get, to get uh, Luxor for <laughs> a quest for the afterlife onto Wii so that we could make yes. our deal with Toys R Us for Black Friday. Uh, in 2008, and we did all that, and then they fired me <laughs> in January because we Jeez. didn't, the company didn't have enough money to, to, <laughs> to keep us going. And that was, you know, wow. so I was, wow. I was, it was one of those times that I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I guess I'm just going to go back to the insurance company or something. And I guess my life's over. Creativity is dead. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, 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 I was at the job for a couple of months there and, and we didn't have a ton of money saved up at the time and it was really tense and I had married, have two kids. My kids were, gosh, about uh, about eight or nine then um, and it was like, what are we, we going to do, man? And so it was, it was rough and, uh, and that's when I saw the, the, the job application for Producer at Gearbox. And I'm like, huh, well, I was just director of production at mumbo jumbo. So maybe I could take a producer title for a a company. And I hadn't really been following gearbox at the time. So the the most I remember is when they were doing halo for the PC, uh, we were at, uh, we had been at, uh, ensemble way back in the day and they had sent us over, uh, to test halo on the PC with them while they were getting that out. They did the port for halo and, um, I remember it really feeling like, like man, Ensemble was this really cool place that actually looked like the interior of the Starship Enterprise. I kid you not, that was like the decor. It was like neon lights everywhere and inset lighting nice. in the floors, and it was, it was like, wow, it, it, free, like complete free sandwich meat and concessions and all sorts of stuff. It was a oh, yeah. exorbitant <laughs> place. One of the reasons they aren't <laughs> around anymore because they spent a lot of money. But uh, when I when I saw Gearbox back then, I'm like, man, this is kind of just a little a little company that doesn't really know what they're doing. I guess they're just going to do this port stuff and whatever and all that. And so I, I, I sent him my application in 2009 and I was like, I guess it's a job and it's local. That's good. And all that. And I got call, I got a call back from a, a, a guy named uh, uh, John Entel, Colonel John Entel, And I, I didn't know who he was at the time, but he was, what I found out that they were hiring uh, a producer position for a next, the next brothers in arms game. I'm like, huh, that sounds familiar. And I looked it up and I realized, Oh, Oh, since I paid attention, Gearbox has put out Brothers in Arms, and Brothers in Arms are like three to five million copy sellers. And, and mm. for, a, for a small company, that was big news. It's like, oh, oh. And it was right around the time that Saving Private Ryan was really big, and and uh, uh, Band of Brothers was really big, and everything was just blowing up. World War II was huge, and, and Gearbox just capitalized on that moment. So the colonel called me in, and he and I hit it off immediately. We, we got along, and, and they, they brought me in and uh started a game uh, there uh, as as producer and that was my start in 2009 at, at Gearbox. I remember my my first week at work uh there was a there was some stuff going on with Duke Nukem at the time. Uh we hadn't acquired Duke Nukem as a property yet, but we were doing some work on it and someone was sending around uh, uh concept art for strippers and i thought that was that was funny <laughs> nice. uh and then uh
0: <laughs> appropriate
2: <laughs> and then uh i they i kept getting mails saying i need we need everybody we can to log into this new title we've got called borderlands and and try it out and test it because we need to we need you know we've got a ship in just a couple of months and we're already way over time and over budget and it's just coming together and and i remember uh the first time i downloaded that copy internally in gearbox and played borderlands i'm like This company has a future. It was everything right. You know, I was a big, I was a big, you know, certainly by that point, a big, big wow player. I think Wrath of the Lich King had just come out in 2008. In fact, I specifically remember, I think November 2008, my son and I were playing it together and it was Mm -hmm. an amazing experience. And Diablo, uh, Diablo 3 was not out yet, but Diablo 2 had been out and my wife and I had played that together and, and loved it. And I'm like, okay, okay. Wow, you really have done for guns what Diablo did for swords. And I'm like, this is clever, and no one else has done this, and this is going to be incredible. And when you saw the art style and saw the music, I remember when the, that first rock and roll intro with the Cage the Elephant song oh, came yeah. in, right? Yeah. And at that time, like Cage the Elephant, no one knew who they were. They had like, I think mm-hmm. 10,000 views on YouTube for Ain't No Rest for the Wicked. And we we're like, just I, I found out later, like uh, uh, the guys at Gearbox were just rubbing their hands and are like, this is going to be big. This is a great song. This is going to be really cool. They're going to be big. We're going we're gonna. to, but man, that those months leading up to that, no one at Gearbox thought that, there, there was an internal argument on how borderlands was going to do uh, about half the people thought it was a complete waste of money there were too many sci-fi shooters out there like halo was dominating the marketplace no oh, yeah. fallout fallout yeah. 3 had just come out and like what are we doing like oh, we're yeah. just going to get stomped by these guys have been doing it much longer uh and then it, it came out and it, everything was okay right so i continued on the producer job there worked uh worked uh, on what was originally going to be brothers in arms four and what morphed into uh, a game that never saw the light of day called furious four you can poke around the internet and oh, still find mm-hmm. the trailer for it we actually had a demo that we we took to e3 and all of that and it was mm-hmm. furious four and then kind of subtitled a brothers in arms game and it really was you know talk about inglorious bastards earlier it really was kind of inglorious yeah. bastards the game and mm. what we what we really tried to do then is is when borderlands was really kicking off man like people were responding to this irreverent tone and this really action gameplay so let's pull that back into this franchise and make a good four player co-op game but do some kind of Ingl- inglorious bastards had just come out and jj uh, mm. abrams had just done the reboot for the star trek uh, franchise, and we were we were watching all of this. Make it fresh, make it new, and we would put all that in there, and uh, we we put it out. And, and that game, and I'm going to say this, and it's going to make some people really, really, I don't know, they're going to feel things. We certainly feel things all the time, but it was really good. I, and I, I, I say that like it, it was really, really good. It had a very unique style to it. It was really gritty, kind of really awesome. It had a moment like in Montana, you know, Montana from Battleborn. That's where he got a oh, start yeah. in Furious nice. Four and as just a big, and he was, he looked vaguely the same, maybe not as big as he got in, in, in Battleborn, but, mm-hmm. uh, right. he had a chainsaw. Uh, in, in Furious Four and Montana had his special move. He pulled out his chainsaw and went on a chainsaw rampage and you actually nice. cut Nazis in half and they separated squirting blood and all that. And you could do the supercharge move where he would take the chainsaw. He would drive it through an enemy's chest, lift them up over his head and then shake it and literally shatter them into pieces of this like blood. I remember doing oh, that for the, beautiful. for the Walmart buyers at E3 <laughs> going like, um, and it's, you're, you're going to really love this at Walmart where you're selling For <laughs> this M-A game, it's, it's, it's gonna be fine you can we have a logo or option we have a logo option we're, we're gonna we're gonna do that right it's, it was really great but that game it was really cool it had good co-op and all that but as things do sometimes the details of the project just don't work out in the back end and and uh we had some reasons we just had to shut that project down and the consequence one of those reasons and one of the consequences was all the team that made that all hyped up on that energy went to work on borderlands 2 it had already mm-hmm. been started with a small team. I um, already had a good creative director, Paul Helquist, and a great writer, Anthony Birch, in place, uh, and, and some other um, great designers who'd worked on one. And then we came in with this huge influx of energy and power in, in its, its last couple of years and, and, and did it to it. And that has been one of my favorite development projects ever in life. I, there are a lot of things I'm proud of, like Battleborn was an amazing project. Uh, Borderlands 3 was a really good project. But there was something magic about that moment in Borderlands 2, where we, we knew what game we were making. We weren't having to reinvent tech. We just needed to make everything better. And we did. And we went all in on it. And of course it, it, it's paid off tremendously. Like I can't remember what, what number are we 20 or 30 million people who have bought it in some form over the years. It's a, it puts it in the, like the, easily the, like the top 5% of highest selling games of all time. It's an amazing game, yeah. uh, and really, really cool moments. And, that was the first time I got to get kind of involved in the press stuff. I got to go and, and do some conference and stuff for Borderlands, and that was really neat. And Gearbox is this really cool place that kind of lets you call your own shots, you know, over time with your career. You know, if you show aptitude in certain areas, we do not silo people at all. Like we, we, we move people around. And so I got to go for a producer on – a project producer on, on Furious 4 uh moved to uh, uh, a design producer for uh, Borderlands 2, where it was kind of design producer manager. I was really kind of the right-hand man of Paul Helquist, who's a creative director. And he and I worked really closely together and just helped him see his vision come to life. And it was a really cool project for that. And the design team was amazing. Honestly, my my attitude in there was, how can I be a force multiplier for all of those great designers? And it it worked really well and, and really got to help those guys shine in in that game that game benefited from that so that was really cool.
0: That's one thing I noticed like during Borderlands two and that one started to roll out. That's when we started to see your face. I started to see you on all sorts of different interviews, mm-hmm. popping in, talking about the games. And then from then on, I've always seen you doing interviews, doing these little inside Xboxes, inside this, uh, all the different shows. Was that was that just the Something that naturally occurred, did you just ask if you could, you know, go ahead and do an interview, and then they saw that you were able to talk and get the points across and, you know, stay energetic, and then said, hey, we're going to have you do this from now on? Or is it something you pushed for, or just, you know, how'd that work out? Because I- I've seen you yeah. always talking about everything since Borderlands too, always out there in the front, talking, talking, talking. I
2: didn't ask for it, I don't think. I'm trying to remember back then. I, I think it was one of the things, you know, when you've got a, a decent-sized game and you're going to uh, the big press events, you know, we usually always do, just like we did with, you saw it recently with Borderlands 3 and, and when we did with mm. Battleborn, we we do uh, special press events first and then kind of take the games to the big trade shows and all of that. And we love to have that moment where we can really fly people in and get their undivided attention for a special event. And, and that that really, really helps, especially for for, uh, for, for big games. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things that as design producer, I was probably more familiar with all the design features of the game than anyone, any other single person in the project, with the exception of maybe Paul Helquist, who was creative director and, and very involved. Because I was touching everything, I was coordinating everything. I knew the names for everything. I knew, I you know, I, I was the guy who set up late with the the character designer Jonathan Hemingway and helped him find names for the. I was there when he named a uh, uh, sexual Tyrannosaurus as one of the skills, you know, and <laughs> nice. and we ran through that. So. <laughs> Uh, you know, we were, we were in that office together and did all that. So it just made sense that as, as someone, and also I wasn't the project producer, so I wasn't necessary to stay in the studio for a time. So it was really great. It was kind of a blend between like, you know, a lot and you're expendable. Cool. So go. Uh, (laughs) And and then I think what, what people liked is, you know, I'm kind of a natural, I love, I love to love things. I really love to love things. And I, I, I just can't help getting excited about the things that I'm excited about and, and, and that was something that they found really valuable, especially when you talk to press. There's, You can train someone to speak really well, but you can't train genuineness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. and I, I think I just love games and love people. Uh, it, it's a natural mix of that. And I'll go back, you know, the, the thing I talked earlier, you know, I, one of the reasons that I was really drawn early on to, to youth ministry and, and church work is I love people. I love working with people. I love meeting people. I love helping people. Uh, and I, you know, I've, I've stayed involved with our church and, and have taught, uh, in our church for many, many years. So I've got, I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of hours of, of, of speaking experience even before I started that. But I've done a lot of public speaking. I've done, you know, with, within the church and within events growing up since, since I was probably like 13 or 14. So it was really cool that I finally got to pull it over into kind of this professional capacity for Gearbox and use it in that way. And it just kind of all clicked. My love for gaming, my love for talking. Yeah, you know, talk, talk, talk all the time. Uh, but it, it, it was a really neat opportunity. I think the first time they saw me do that, they're like, okay, you're now our, in, our, in our A group every time we go anywhere. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh-huh.
2: So as, as Borderlands 2 is wrapping up, um, I remember there was a day that, that Randy Pitchford came and, and found me. I think we'd done some press stuff together. And he and I had a pretty good relationship at that time. And I, I'll, I'll just an aside here, I love working with Randy Pitchford. He, he takes it on the chin a lot on the internet. Um, mm-hmm. He's an amazing guy, a creative guy. He, he sincerely wants to prioritize entertainment. He's passionate for creative stuff and wants to entertain the world. He is awesome to sit in a room and, and design stuff with and write stuff with. And, and I think he wishes he could do everything. I think that's why he gets himself in, in, <laughs> and kind of tripped up every once in a while. Mm-hmm. But uh, he, he's a cool guy. But he and I had it, hit it off, you know, with the two Randys at Gearbox. And we, he, he came to me right as we were wrapping up the dev for, for Borderlands 2 and said, hey, I got this idea. And this is, this is now 2012, right? Uh, I don't know if you remember like 2011, 2012, but this little game called League of Legends was pretty big right about then. It oh, yeah. was right before Dota came out or right when Dota was coming out. And League was just dominating the news. I mean, it's 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 Fortnite, you know, this year, but mm-hmm. it was League then. That was the game. Mm-hmm. And everybody in the industry was looking at at League and asking, like, wow, how can we how can we tap into that? Yeah, we would mm-hmm. love to go from a 30 a person company to a twelve hundred person company in a year or two. How do we make that happen? And Randy, I remember him saying, like, hey, we did some really cool stuff with Furious Four. It was an awesome co-op game that was kind of you're still playing in that 30-minute mission. You know, you're you're playing it, you're done and all that. And and Furious 4 had a competitive mode to it, though we had not brought the growth into competitive mode. And he said, what if you took League-like growth and brought it into that Furious 4 and and even sort of kind of Borderlands-like gameplay? And then we did kind of a FPS MOBA. What 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 would that look like? And he and I started talking about it, and I got really excited. I said, "That sounds like a dream project." And yeah. uh, and a, about a month or two later, I was uh, creative director on Project Poplar was the code name, uh, and we we kicked it off. Uh, we had a really great team, six of us that started off. Um, uh, uh Neil Johnson, tech director, Scott Velasquez, who, who just did the, the EchoCast extension, worked with the Twitch mm-hmm. guys to do that for Borderlands 3, amazing programmers that have been at Gearbox forever. Uh, Chase Sinski, who uh, amazing network programmer. He's now working at Gearbox Publishing. Uh, Keith Schuller, who's a senior veteran designer. He's been in the industry, I think, since before it was born. The dude is amazing and you want him on anything. And then uh, Jonathan Hemingway, who'd been the character designer of Borderlands 2. And, and the group of us went into a little room. And we kicked off what became Battleborn, uh, and and literally in about the first, I think we had, I think Scott had a, we 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 actually used the Borderlands two engine, uh, copied the code base, started up the new project, and in the space of about a month, had a prototype up and playing where you could play a zero Maya Salvador and Axton, uh, really poorly balanced, and, and we actually <laughs> took summoners a summoners a copy of the Summoners Rift map from League of nice. Legends. And rebuilt a really rough copy in 3D and started playing that. Keith threw together some really quick towers, you know, kind of roughly by the rules of Towers Work. And we started to figure out really quickly, like, man – Sightlines are a bitch in first person. You, you really have to block those off because I can just spawn in and shoot the, the other person's tower from the other end of the map. No mm. threat. So we had little, little, uh, uh, there was a the psycho midgets from Borderlands 2 that were the minions and we, we colored them nice. different ways for the teams. And, and we, we had, we built within the space of a month, a really prototypey League of Legends. And then from there started, started making plans on, on what, what would go into Battleborn. Uh, we worked on Battleborn from from 2012 till the time it you know till well well after it released. It released in was a 2016 now, right? And uh, yeah. uh, we we spent about a year and a half on it. After and you guys were were there around and saw saw most of that uh, play out, mm-hmm. and still around watching most of that. Oh yeah, it was a amazing, tough, emotional project. You know, we we announced it early. I think early in 2015. I want to say summer of 2015 uh, is when we had the Game Informer cover. Uh, And we took a fully functional build with like 12 fully playable characters to Game Informer and played on a PlayStation 4 networked with the, the, the office back at Gearbox up in the Game Informer headquarters in Minnesota. Man, my heart screams at me every day that I really wish we would have shipped that game about three months later. Uh, that we would have we would have gone uh, gone free to play with that game it would have had any campaign in it at the time but it would have had you know it would have had several of the multiplayer modes that we have now different mm-hmm. map variants on it i actually like some of the earlier maps we didn't ship better but uh it was a really it was working it was a working game and it was functional and the back end worked and, and everything was almost ready and uh we we Got a note from our from our publisher who 2K has been an amazing partner. And I don't want to sound like I'm throwing them under the bus on this because they spent a lot of money for us to, to take a big swing at Battleborn and worked with mm-hmm. us all the way and, and helped us a lot. But they asked us to uh, to make Battleborn ready for retail sales because they really wanted to try to get the retail boost out of marketing on that. Uh-huh. And, uh, at, at, you know, when you put it in Walmart and Target, they do a lot of marketing for you. And there's a lot of business that goes around all that. And we're like, mm-hmm. oh, OK, that makes sense. We'll just... We we our initial plans for like the battleborn campaign is like let's do two or three horde horde or raid style maps you know with this mm-hmm. five player co op just to give you a different experience than competition all the time uh, mm-hmm. and that's what we were targeting for but when we had to come back and think about the campaign about two years into the project it kind of kind of shifted it up right so we came back and spent a lot of effort a lot of time and a lot of money on trying to get the campaign out and uh and did you know came out with the whatever the ten or eleven levels that we we shipped with. And, uh, and unfortunately that pushed us back to a very unfortunate ship date, which was right on top of Overwatch.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. I,
2: I think that was, that was one of the, you know, if, if you're looking at ways, sometimes the stars align and sometimes they, I don't know what the opposite of stars aligning could be, but it was that, <laughs> whatever it felt like. It was, you know, Starmageddon or, or, That's uh, a good uh, word. I like that. <laughs> they, they, I like we almost that. named we almost named Battleborn Starmageddon. It was close. It was <laughs> nice. one of the names in the running. I, it was my pick. I lost, but anyway, it was really <laughs> tough. And it was one of those things that God, there were so many things that happened all at once. Right, Battleborn came out. It, it, we had we had some problems. We, we you know we we had to face through it. Overwatch. I, I heard a rumor that Overwatch spent somewhere over two hundred million dollars just on their marketing
0: oh i don't Mm. doubt it which was was, which
2: was was more than double what we spent on battleborn's marketing and game together Mm. so it when we Mm. realized what was going on there it was it it was was a lot of those really serious terse discussions like crap they're determined and they targeted us as a as a competitor they brought all their force Mm -hmm. down on us They, they crushed us pretty hard there in those first few months they they literally hired streamers out from under us. We had to, we, we, it was, dude, there was everything that that could have gone against us, went against us for that. And it was really tough. We had some problems in the early game too. And I think if we had shipped the game, either a year earlier or we'd held it on to a year that remember that big winter patch that we did that February Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. the, you Mm -hmm. know, the frame rate went to 60 on the consoles. We fixed a lot of the UI problems. We added the captain's mode. Yeah, That was
0: wonderful. Like it
2: was a, it was a bit, if we would ship that game, I think we could have, we would have, we would have had a lot better, a lot better chance. I still think we needed to gut and overhaul matchmaking. That's another thing you shouldn't get me started on because I'll, I'll rail on that for a while.
0: (laughs) You said don't start on it, but you know, that's one of my main questions because if you've ever listened to me and Matt back then talking about Battleborn, it was how insane the matchmaking was. No matter what, me and Matt would end up with these professional players uh-huh. who would just giggle and laugh and throw us around like little candy toys over and over and over <laughs> again. And I'm like, this thing should know it mean matter only average why are we facing (laughs) off against these professional players stop it
2: (laughs) put a pin in that and i'll i'll I'll, you know i'll tell you what uh it's enough time has gone by i'll I'll give you guys a a little bit more details that that won't uh make anybody look super bad I'll, i'll 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 fess up a little bit on what was going on and what we what we couldn't talk about at the time and and what i'd Hoped it, it's kind of a heartbreaking story from a dev perspective. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm not asking for sympathy. I mean, we we made our bed and we li- we lay in it, and it it was frustrating. But it happens sometimes. But mm-hmm. anyway, uh, you know, we we were on Battleborn for about a year and a half, and then it was time, and that was the big thing too. Borderlands three had started uh, mm-hmm. as a game development project really before we shipped Battleborn. You know, a small team had formed up. They were starting. They were ideas. And once you do that at Gearbox, part of our strategy is, you know, we always have a game kind of in the wings while we're working on some big title. So as one is, is, is launching another one's spinning up. So we always have a project. We really don't ever want to be that company that hires and fires people. We always try to have real funded projects that are there all the time. And and that's actually one of the biggest things that Randy Pitchford has always done for that company. Like he's actually an amazing at, at working all of that business. And we're bigger now. We have some other business people. We have some other stuff that that's going to be really cool there, but, uh, people started rolling off a battleborn and rolling off a battleborn and it rolled down to kind of the DLC support team. And then after that February patch, we lost all but six of us. And mm-hmm. we, we did the last, the FPP, the, the, uh, the trial version of it yeah. that should have just been the free to play version, but we yeah. had to use some other word for it. That was yeah, all that screwed was, up uh, screwy. That yeah, was not that was our screwing. call. It was, it was uh business and marketing and other thing like that. But there's some reasons mm-hmm. we had to do that. Uh, and anyway, we, uh, we worked on that and, and, uh, and then, uh, in the, finally in the, in August of 2017, I got the tap on the shoulder and says, Hey, uh, uh Borderlands 3 is going to be real big and we need every, all hands on deck. So it, you know, with, with a lot of reluctance, I, I remember I wrote that, that, uh, letter. I wrote a letter to the community. Uh, they let mm-hmm. me do that much. And just said, Hey, I'm transitioning over to other projects that I can't talk about at the time, but I think everybody knew what, what it was. Knew exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. Of course. And, uh, we, we, we left it in just a couple of people's hands. Uh, um, Jonathan Carruthers and Jennifer Lane stayed on for a little bit, uh, and kind of kept the lights running for a little bit. But, uh, uh, it was, it was a really sad day. And I was, I, I went over to the Borderlands 3 team and as exciting as that project looked, even at that stage, like the guns by the time I got there were already remarkable. Uh Man, I I was like really depressed for a couple of months and I, I sat in my office and moped and it's really, you know, it's like, oh, what am I going to do here? Here it is. I, I I finally hit Battleborn. Every game designer's dream job is to be creative director of a project one day. Mm-hmm. It's your project. It's your dream. And Battleborn was had so much of me in it and so much of the team in it. And it was so we had so many great dreams for that.
0: And, and it's it so kind I'm good.
2: It, thank <laughs> yeah. you, thank you. We think so too. And it just, it just didn't line up. Things didn't mm. line up right, and that happens sometimes. And it takes a while to accept. Somewhere in there, I go through all the stages of grief, you know, and denial mm. and acceptance and anger, and uh, sometimes in, in mixed up orders. Uh, and and then finally, uh, uh, you know, we started looking at, and they they brought me on first as because there was already a pretty established leadership structure in Borderlands when I got there. And so I wasn't going to, you know, we, we had a really great creative director, Paul Sage, who had worked on, uh, uh, Elder Scrolls online all the way back to, you know, Ultima online. The dude was a super veteran. He had things well underhand. Uh, Chris Brock, who had been our, our producer on Battleborn, had already moved over to Borderlands three and had taken that over and he was going on. And like, like they were, they were, so they didn't need me in any of the capacities i had been before. And I'm like, well, I guess I can just go find something to do. And, and someone said, hey, the story's kind of struggling a little bit. Why don't you go help with that? And so I, I came on as, as the, the narrative producer. And in the course of about three or four months, we realized that, you know, stories are never made in big games by writers alone. Uh, you know, even in, in Battleborn, you know, we had Aaron Lindy, our amazing writer. But Aaron and I worked together, but we worked with all the, the mission designers and level designers to make all the maps on that. The character designers had a lot of say on their characters. And the same thing in Borderlands, you know, it takes a lot of people to make a game. And so we started this, this narrative group. And we're meeting twice a week and it was Randy Pitchford was there and, and all of that. Paul Sage, creative director, was in that. The lead level designer, uh, Graham Timmons, uh, Keith Schuler's lead mission designer. And then all the writers and I would get in the room and we would, and the art director, Scott Kester, was there a lot. Uh, and we started hashing through the story and really looking at kind of where the story was and where it needed to go. And and uh, as we got to the beginning of 2018, that was going so well, uh, we decided to make a department. So we made the, narr- the first ever narrative department at Gearbox, and I got to be the, the managing producer of narrative, and that was that was cool. So I hired a, cu- a couple other writers, uh, brought in Connor Cleary uh, from from external to the studio, and then hired a guy named Dante Silva. Who wrote a lot of the content at Battleborn? He had been. I was going to say
0: is we'd seen him a whole bunch on the uh, the streams for Battleborn, Mm -hmm. coming in, coming out, doing all sorts of the uh, the quizzes and the questions and all that good stuff and. He was real big on that.
2: Dante had been part, had been QA, which was a full-time job. But it was an hourly job, right? With this not, not considered a full-time employee. And, and he had done that just as kind of an embedded QA. He, he was, I hired him. I, I got him doing that because he was the guy that originally found all the problems with my, my character lore that I wrote for Battleborn, in the main game. He was the one that mm-hmm. would come to me and like, uh, this Galt date can't have this date because you said it happened after this and this event happened there and these. And Man, you know my timeline better than me, and there's not a person on earth that's ever going to know that. So mm. you're hired. So I, we got him on finally full time when we, we got the narrative team and, and, and he's just got a head for lore. So he came on and started doing that. Uh, and then yeah. started to fold some other people in. I got a motion graphics guy. We started doing pre visualizations for cinematics. Uh, hired a voiceover director, Joel McDonald, who did all the casting and voiceover direction for Borderlands Three. He's amazing. That dude worked at Funimation for ten years. So if you've ever watched oh, any yeah. Funimation dubbed anime, Joel, mm-hmm. oh, but he's he's the voice of Aoyama in My Hero Academia. So the the, oh, the glorious sweet. belly beam. Nice. That's Joel. Yes. I, he, he works for me. And that's the the day oh, we fantastic. found that clip was glorious. We played that <laughs> on loop of my <laughs> glorious belly beam for about a week. It was awesome. He, that's he, awesome. awesome. But now
0: before you get it, into this i want to jump back for a second okay you, okay you went over battleborn and of course we do have a question i want to ask about battleborn so that's
2: really my history so we're done with the history part yeah. now let's get into your questions yeah. i'm done i'm done i was gonna say you're, you're
0: getting into Borderlands Three, and we're gonna get there but okay. i want to i want to stick on battleborn for just a minute and i want to you we were talking about something which is interesting to me you said you earlier were hoping that there was a shot at putting it out before you'd done the campaign right yeah. So you were saying you'd hope you could just get the PvP portion out. Now the I love the PvP portion. We played, gosh, I don't know how many hours of it. But I loved the campaign. I yeah. I I begged Matt and I begged Danny and I begged everybody to play with me on the campaign <laughs> over and over. And they always wanted to do PvP. And I'm like, please, hey, let's do hey, the story. Hey, I played through please. that campaign yeah, with you, you many ops. many times. Yes, so. you did. And then you were all about the ops later. I'll yes, give yes. you that. Which were fantastic. Those were just just mm-hmm. beautifully done. But I thought it was fascinating. The story, the characters, everything inside of there. Mm. Just, I loved to death. I loved what you guys did with it. I loved, I, I mean, I can't, I don't want to let it go. Like you, I sit here still to this day going, there's gotta be a way, there's gotta be a way to get Mm. this back. And of course, with saying that, it leads into a question that we've got from one of our (laughs) ad listeners and someone who's played. You know, Battleborn to death. Played it way more than we've ever played it, for sure. And that's from Sean Haggerty. And he says, <clears throat> The crazy ending to Phoebe and the Heart of Echinar still has me like dot 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 WTF. Will we ever find out what was coming next? Like potentially in an amazing comic book series. <laughs> and so I know you've kind of answered this question before, but you know, in, in, it's more time has passed. Borderlands 3 is a huge success. Millions of dollars are flowing. The world is looking good. Is Battleborn something that's been laid to rest for good, or is there hope?
2: There is hope.
0: I like that. I like that too. let me
2: let me. I said. In fact, I I dropped by one of the the Battleborn Discord chat rooms earlier. It was this afternoon. I'd not been over there for a while. I used to hang over there all the time, and now I fired up this Discord account. I'm like, hey, I wonder if anybody's still there. And they asked the same question this afternoon. And I I, I the way I describe it is. There is still a candle burning for, for Battleborn at, at Gearbox, right? Um, I, I can't, like, nothing is certain right now, and mm. I don't want to, you know, I, there, I it's like what a lot of people would love to know is, like, do you have a team working on Battleborn 2 right now? Have you already started wow. it up? No, we are, we are, all of us, the biggest studio we've ever had, all of us working on Borderlands right now and will be for quite some time. Uh, just to just to do the the content that we've already committed to, and certainly taking advantage of, of of this awesome time for for that to be in the spotlight. But I I there have been multiple discussions at and not just the like by the way water cooler talk at, at, at Gearbox. Like if you just talk to any dev that worked on Battleborn, almost to a person, they will tell you, "Hell yes, let's do it again." Like our mm-hmm. art director Scott Kester is one of my great friends. Uh, he he and I talk about once a month. He's like that's he and he'll tell you. I think he even said this on the the Borderlands press tours. Like, Battleborn was my favorite game to ever art direct. He said <laughs> it was just so crazy and so creative. They let me do whatever I wanted. It was really awesome and and it was just so much fun. It was such a delight because it just really was open palette creativity and it was a, a really motivated project. And it was there's so much of that passion from all of our 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 teams design and art and, and audio at Gearbox that went into that and. You see the results in, in Borderlands as well. I mean, you see how some of the things leveled up, uh, like the, the character and gun teams or the character designers on Battleborn. So you see some mm-hmm. really cool, innovative designs in Borderlands that came from there. But we would all love to do another one. Uh, and Gearbox, we, what we really believe, I've talked I talked some with Randy Pitchard about this, and we certainly believe that the IP has value, that the property has value, and, and I think the strongest part of Battleborn is the universe and the story and the characters. And I, I think oh, that's what, out of everything else there, you, know, you can debate a lot of our game design and pick apart our, our, our really ill-conceived matchmaking and, and other things. But we, we have something in our hearts for those characters and that universe and that story and, and would love to go there. So uh, there's nothing actively in the works right at this moment. But, uh, there, there are, uh, there are talks about how to kick that off and how it would do. And we've got some early ideas. I don't know when that would start up. Uh, it will probably, it will, it will definitely be years before you see anything. Uh, but it, it is definitely there. I would love to come back to it.
0: I've got an idea. I've got an idea. I'm just going to throw it out there, you know, because we've, (laughs) we've said it on the show before. So, of course, where Phoebe and the Heart of Echinar, as Sean said, laid, you know, laid bare, what was going on, got Rendane back in the picture. Spoiler if you haven't Jeez, played, geez, well, too Eric, bad. Come I don't even now. care. Too bad for everybody. You know it's what? Been, been it's been almost time. four years, man. <laughs> exactly. I think we're,
2: I think it's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we passed the statute of limitations.
0: <laughs> I don't remember the name of the individual who did the little anime cutscene in the very beginning Sunken? of Battleborn. Yeah. yeah. Was that who? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic beautifully done just wonderful in every sort of way here you go another year from now or whenever <laughs> you know whenever the the the, the stew starts going you throw out another one of those, a little anime thing going to just talk, you know, getting that story continued, like 30 minutes, 23 minutes with a commercial or whatever you got to do. Mm-hmm. You pop it out there. You get 2K to throw it out there. Oh, oh you no, you're talking there. You're
2: talking the, the animated short.
0: Yeah, the animated short. Oh, in the shoot. Very beginning. And
2: I'm going to forget who that that was. a It was a studio that we worked with. We hired. um uh, I'm going to forget their name, but it was more. It was, yeah, it was a small studio of, of animators. Mm-hmm. That'd be really cool. Yeah, that'd be cool.
0: That was fantastic. And you know, you get that out there, everyone that comes back, what's this? Oh my gosh, this looks pretty neat. And then boom. And you slowly boom. tie it in yeah. as the years roll
1: on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not a bad idea.
0: See, I'm just saying, be nice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, now, another question we had from one of our patrons, you kind, you kind of touched on a little bit with the having that open palette for creating with Battleborn. Uh, Our buddy Steve Cadwalader asked, what's it like working on an existing franchise like Borderlands? And You know, that does go to some crazy places, but Mm -hmm. I assume it's got more, you know, kind of boundaries around what you can do with certain things. So what's it like working on an existing franchise like that versus something brand new like Battleborn, where you can, I would assume, you can just do whatever you want, basically. Create anything, any kind of crazy thing you like.
2: You have to create, uh, the the hardest, the the biggest change, right, is... And this this is actually kind of really represented in, in me personally. I went from creative director on Battleborn, where honestly, I could get in a forum conversation and say, you know what, I'm making a cannon call right now. This is how this is. And, mm-hmm. it you know, I, I could I could just make I could literally make things up on the fly. And that was the story of the universe mm-hmm. um, to Borderlands, where it, it's a much bigger team effort the people who have stakes in the story of the Borderlands universe and all that, like I said, it's not just the writers. It's not just me as head of story. It's not even just Randy Pitchford though. He's certainly a major stakeholder in it. Uh, It's all the mission designers, all the level designers, all the artists. And so we, we had to shift gears and stop thinking about like, well, what's the decision? We'll go ask Varnell. He's going to tell you what the decision is. And that's, that's how it was in in a lot of Battleborn Mm -hmm. to, um, to, to Borderlands where like, if we, like we played a lot in Borderlands 3 with the siren lore uh, and did a lot of that. And we had mm-hmm. many, many long discussions about what to do and what's actually going on behind the hood and and and, and all that. And and they were it was not something there were proposals from a number of different angles. But we actually got that narrative group together and went through those to come up with really to really to kind of co-pilot chart the, the course for the franchise. And that's mm-hmm. really cool. Don't get me wrong. I love that. I, it's, I'm not, I, there's not a complaint in my, in my body about that. I love that, that room, that narrative room, and working with those creative people and doing that. It's just very different and how that process works and that how that process feels, it's a little bit slower until you kind of get your momentum going. And then it goes a lot faster because then you've empowered a team of people to do all the secondary effect, creative decisions that, that roll out of that and, 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 and more happens faster. So it's just learning a new kind of dance uh, on the creative part. And so, but it is a, it is a shift. It is a, it is a, a very distinct, distinctly different way of, of making those. I like both of them. I, I don't know which i at this point, I don't know which I would prefer. It was fun being Mr. In Charge. It's also fun mm. having an immensely talented group of people that that I don't have to. I'm also not the one <laughs> responsible for every the, great the decision. Single, yeah, you're right. not the single yeah.
0: one, exactly. And I wasn't but even I, that
2: in Battleborn, but, but it was a little bit closer to that. Mm. Mm.
0: Hello, super fans. This is Danny coming at you from the editing room. And I am here to inform you that there will be some spoilers coming up for Borderlands 3. So if you have not made it through the story, now is the time to decide whether or not you would like to continue listening. <laughs> if you're about to hit that stop button, thank you for listening to the podcast today. And we hope to see you next week. Don't forget to say. And if you are ready to continue with this episode, here we go in 5, 4,
1: 3, 2, one
0: Now, and this was a question I had for myself from earlier was, you know, you said you had four other writers with you and you had a, you know, a big group of you going to town, writing all this for Borderlands 3. How did that work? Because, of course, you're all you are all creative in your own ways. And so there's got to be times when you're like, all right, got to figure out what this character is doing, why they're doing it, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so you all go to your own little you know boards, write up what you want, <laughs> and you come back. And there's got to be times where it was you're crazy. You make no sense. Oh yeah. Doing, and then <laughs> and that, you're, and then they're oh, like, yeah. no, you're dumb. We don't like what you're doing. And you're like, well, okay, let's fight.
2: <laughs> yes. You've, uh, I mean, I don't know what's left to explain. You've done such a good job. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty much exactly the way it works.
0: Fantastic.
2: <laughs> I mean, to add a couple of details of that, I mean, we, we definitely get together in that, that big narrative group, especially on like the main missions, and we did a high level outline. We did a document called a plot map through the entire game. And we locked that down at one point before we had written really even a single line of dialogue for the main missions. So we knew all of the, the major beats that were going to happen, what levels they happened in, what characters were going to be involved and, and, and the, the generally what would happen, including, you know, even rough descriptions of those big moments those cinematic moments where we kill off major characters or, or mm-hmm. pretend that we've ended the game or, or other things. Uh, but but yeah, so we, we, we do a big outline together and we actually have a moment where from Randy Pitchford to Paul Sage, all the directors look at each other like, this is the game that we're making. Yes. This is the story we're telling. Okay. And, and from the time we ratified that, which that happened in January of 2018, um, from that point, there were some changes, but they weren't huge changes at that point. There were no; they were mostly cuts or trims for time, or because certain mm-hmm. certain elements of pacing and game design weren't coming together, and we had to do that. But generally, that was that. So, so the way it works then is uh, we we kind of have a hybrid writers' room type of environment with our writers, the way they work. Um, generally, what we would do is each main mission would get first assigned to a single writer. Uh, Sam and Danny were our co lead writers, so they bore most of the weight on that. Uh, Connor and Dante did a lot of our side missions and then wrote the 40 some odd thousand lines of battle dialogue that people scream at you in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they would go off and they would write a draft of that and they would bring it back into just the writer's room. Uh, and, and exactly as you described, uh, fight. Uh, we would argue about it and we'd say, I don't know that that's right. That doesn't sound right. Oh, here's a funnier line for that and all that. And once the writers felt good about it, then we would take those main missions back, back to the larger narrative group. And we would do a table read. Uh, We would, we would bring in some, some people from around Gearbox, have them sit in and read the parts. And we would, we would then do a table read and then have about an hour and a half long discussion after that, taking notes of things we wanted to do. We would clean that up, and then we would greenlight that that mission or that part of the plot for recording. And that was generally the, the way the process ran uh, throughout uh, the, the 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 development. Once we got most of that done and recorded into the game, we started to play through, and then found a whole different set of problems. Uh, and so we did a set of uh, a rewrites and pickups based on that, and did second and third drafts for a lot of the stuff. Uh, and then uh, and then re-recorded that. And by then, we're just out of time. Uh, I mean, you're getting to, you know, February, March this year and we are frantically Mm -hmm. filling up every spare hour that we have with studio recording and trying to be sure everything's good. So uh, it's, it's a really powerful process. um, And it's only going to get better. I think what I really like about the process we have, you know, some people say, well, isn't it designed by committee? Isn't it going to? No, because we still have individual voices that that are, are coming out. And we, I think we do a pretty good job about letting people like. There are some times that we like. Here's a great example. Um, you have the mission, uh, 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 uh one of my favorite missions on, on Eden six, Swamp Bro, where you meet Chad. Did, um, oh, goodness, yes, yes. that
1: was best. It. And uh, that was
2: pitched by one of our writers. <laughs> it's kind of a dumber, sillier mission in there. And the first time it came through, there were a lot of concerns like, oh, I think it's a little over top, I think it's a little bit too dumb. And we're like, really? dumb for Borderlands? I mean, come on. It's, <laughs> this is fun. It fits in. It's swamp people. Mm-hmm. It's it's going to be a lot of fun. And and it turns out the, the mission designer making it really had a blast. And, and uh, the writer and mission designer worked, uh, Connor and uh, the guy, worked really well together and, and made a really, really cool, memorable mission. And what was neat is because the way our, our, our bigger narrative group works, we let them take that risk. They're like, I think this is going to be really great. And we're like, okay, we're not seeing it yet, but Go ahead. Put your personality in it. Make it great and all of that. And, and we still are trying to find those ways not to come from the top and be dictatorial and comment, uh, but, mm-hmm. but just to, uh, to, to, to find those areas where, like, here's the boundaries. And if you think you're straying outside of a boundary, come and talk to us. Or if we think you're straying outside of a boundary – We'll, we'll come and talk to you, but it's not a hard line at Gearbox. There's a lot of discussion and and all that. And generally what we really try to do is be sure that every creative person in the studio has a way to get their creative voice out there. So we still have those great moments of unique, weird, twisted creativity. But what we do have with the writer's room and with the process that we have now is a lot more dependability in the process. Um, we we can actually do some heavier lifting. I think Borderlands Three, where where one of the things that improved in the story in Borderlands Three, is I think the the actual core narrative, the heartfelt moments, and the actual intricacies of like character growth and character journeys and what's happening on the big meta plot, were a lot more advanced and a lot more mature from a storytelling standpoint. The Borderlands Two, which was great, don't get me wrong, Borderlands Two, amazing game, but you can sum up the story in one sentence. Handsome Jack tries to kill you and you try to kill him back. That's the game. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of stuff that happens in that, but it's a really simple plot, which is also probably one of the reasons it was it was very, very successful. You know, you have a great villain, Handsome Jack, just over the top. Borderlands 3 is a, four act play. I mean, Mm -hmm. we like every planet in that game was an act for us. And we actually internally called it that and looked at that. And there are almost four short stories that are tied together by this overarching meta narrative. It's a really complex structure, probably a little bit more complex than it should have been. And I think some of the criticisms there are are probably fair, but
0: in speaking of complex, I want to go ahead and throw in here. This is a question we were going to ask, which is with Borland's a pre sequel, Borland's 2, Borland's 1, Telltale's Borland series. Yeah, You've got a million characters. Yes. And a ton of them who are more beloved, like Nurse Nina. Mm-hmm. Yes. Pickles, Janie Springs, you know, Athena. For God's sakes, where's Athena? Yeah. You know? <laughs> it, it was showed that, it was, it's been t- said that she had her hand out taking Janie with her when she took off in the credits, you know, on the uh, previous title, but. Who knows, you know, and it, how did how did you guys all decide who was going to make the cut mm-hmm. in this in this, you know, final version of the base game and who's going to come along later? Who's going to just be gone? How, did, I mean, and are there any characters who you've decided, hey, you know, we just can't bring everything and everyone back? Who are we getting rid of? Well, I don't you don't got to say because obviously it might spoil something, but you know what I mean? Who, who, did you make those decisions? Are there some characters who are just never going to come back and we're just going to have to settle on imagining what happened to Pickles, for example? Ah, <laughs> uh,
2: Pickles. Uh, <laughs> um, I was about but so take of Pickles. I was going to say, no, no, every character has a chance of coming back, but I don't know. We'll have to see about Pickles. Um, <laughs> oh, there you go. See, you got it in your brain now. <laughs> <Got it. laughs> um, I, I'll just say it's tough. It, this is this is one of the hardest things that we had to juggle and, and kind of in the, in this game we knew that we had to balance some things we, we have a lot of characters we wanted to do a lot of fan service because it had been since borderlands 2 it had been seven years it's been at least three years yeah, through four years time. since the pre sequel right so um, we we knew we had a lot of time between the two and so we had we had to come back and uh we we aired on the side of adding more characters back in than we probably should have. And in fact, I, you know, I think if I were to, if I were to go back and do Borderlands three again, I probably would have, especially on the main mission, I probably would have pulled off maybe a third of the characters on the main mission just to simplify because you didn't get to spend as much time. Like I would have loved to have spent about two more main missions with Maya.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. right. I would have, yeah, I agree with you. Uh,
2: I would have loved to have seen Ava blossom a little bit more at the end mm-hmm. before she's handed the keys to the sanctuary. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there are things like that that we had to make just some tough choices because we, we, we only have a certain amount of time, and 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 you you have to do that. So uh, I I I'll just I'll go ahead and put a plug in here before I just go a lot longer on this. Um, I actually talk more about this on the Borderlands show. Uh, which is going to yeah. air October 30th. So rather than using more of our valuable time here for that, I'll just go ahead and put a plug in for those guys. I actually go through a little bit more uh, and add a couple of we're more. We're not
0: helping we- Greg Miller out and Fran over <laughs> there. No, no, I, No, you guys, <laughs> we're, we're hitting a different angle here. I've listened here. to them for years. It's yeah, they're, awesome. they're
2: great. And I'd love to be sure that both of <laughs> you guys have some some unique content here. So it's cool. We're all good. But I'll I'll say if you want to hear more on, on that particular question, uh, it's something I talk a little bit more over there.
0: Okay, fantastic. Well, then we'll pay attention to it. By gods, now I will segue then quickly into this one, um, which you said in a previous interview that uh, the other writers never worked on Borderlands. You're the only existing one that had worked on Borderlands previous to you know Borderlands Three. So did they come? Did anyone come to you, kind of going, well, how's this character act? Or did everybody just go home, do all their homework, play the heck out of the titles, kind of learn how characters act? towards one another and get the get the gist of it and roll from that
2: so it's a great question probably the first thing to start with and i love all of my writers they're they're really talented professionals part of being a professional staff writer on in on anything is you have to learn i mean one of the core skills you have to develop is to be able to write in any character's voice um, you know there are definitely mm-hmm. some writers who really like we we were we were worried probably most about tiny tina because that was such a special thing between anthony birch and ashley birch who who created yeah. that together in you know in, in borderlands 2 kind of based on their their work with hey ash what you playing and, mm-hmm. and we were worried that we were going to be able to recreate that so you start with a base skill that, that, that every professional writer, staff writer, just understands you're going to have to be able to do that. So it's one of the skills I actually look for when I hire new writers. By the way, I've, I've got three open positions right now, so we're hiring more writers. Um, all right,
0: I'll be there. All right, yeah, cool.
2: The three of us, all three of us from Third Shift. <laughs> yeah, pop right it's going <laughs> So we, we look for that. And then, yes, just like you say, there was a lot of study. Sam Winkler, who, who wrote um, uh, most of the DLC for Battleborn... Uh, he came, you know, he wrote like I, he, he started writing all the characters from Milani, And I think he wrote four of the five DLCs. I think da- Danny Homan, who was the other co-lead on, on Borderlands, wrote the Toby DLC uh, for Battleborn. So both of those guys, you know, had a good swing of humor and they had some sh- ship stuff. But it was Sam, both of their first full AAA game uh, and their first time on Borderlands. And Sam was a Borderlands hyper fan. Like he almost knows as much lore as, as as Dante, but he definitely understands the characters and can talk in detail about what makes them tick. Danny actually taught writing at a university for a while. He is a he is just a consummate senior professional, uh, amazing guy, knows the craft inside out. So he can approach very methodically. Connor, when we hired Connor. He had been at Telltale games. He didn't work on, on Tales of the Borderlands, but he worked around it and saw it in development, was also a big Borderlands fan. So he already had a good, a good idea of the tone and the characters. And so we got really lucky that we, we found some professional writers who knew the franchise inside out and just applied a lot of skill. And then we did some tests. I mean, it, it wasn't always all right at the beginning. But again, one of those strengths of a writer's room is like, man, I'm really not feeling Wainwright, or I'm not feeling a hammerlock. Um, I, I just can't quite get his cadence down. Can someone else take a shot at it? And then you said, oh, well, Danny's really good at hammerlock. And so you give, you know, you like, okay, Danny, just go through the whole script and tweak all the hammerlock lines to be sure that they're there. So we did a lot of things like that, where the person who is showing the most aptitude for a claptrap or hammerlock or Tina or one of those would, would go back in the last revisions of the script and do a pass where they would just say, okay, now I'm going to look at the voice and be sure not only are they saying the things that the story needs, but the voice is written in a way that that character is believable and consistent with the, and yeah, you know, we went back and watched video clips from Borderlands 2. We, we, there's a lot of that going back and studying. Um, Claptrap was one of the most challenging because not only did we have new writers, but we changed uh, voice actors. Mm-hmm. We brought That's in Jim Ferranda who did a tremendous job on Battleborn oh, yeah. for us. Uh, and we always thought that he was probably going to be good at robots because he did Isaac and Minrec in, in Battleborn. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh,
2: but trying to mimic uh, an already established voice is very difficult. So we we actually did a lot of work with Jim in the studio early on, like listening to some of the raw early claptrap voice recordings and have him match it because it's the the it's the voice is then pitch shifted and it's it, it's got other effects put on it and it's made really different so you have to read one way in a studio and it sounds completely different when it comes out the other end and and the processing does a lot for the voice but it doesn't do everything and i think jim did a fantastic job it you can i can hear jim in there because i know jim mm. so well and i know some other people can as well but I think he kept the the spirit of Claptrap alive for us, and I'm I'm really proud 100%. of the work that he did.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. We I well, I don't want to speak for Matt, but I know I totally enjoy his voice. In fact, I love the I don't want to say emotion that got put into it. Like Claptrap really kind of just came came to the front this time around for me. I, I felt like he was at it with a an oomph, and I, I appreciated it.
1: I, I feel like he had like different range in this one too. Mm. Whereas in in Borderlands two, he was kind of that that dopey robot but he never had like a when you're finding those the deactivated or the dead clap traps you get kind of like a darker tone in certain areas of this personality <laughs> which you can you know you would see it you would understand that that's bubbling under there but you get a lot of it here this time that's what i really appreciate it
2: yeah i again i i just I, like everything got leveled up for for this process uh mm. jim's great did a good job certainly david eddings he did it before was fantastic he really oh, established course, the character yes. and i don't i don't want to I don't want to uh, no, disparage no, him wonderful. anyway. Uh, but we had for the first time a full internal vo- uh, voice director, Joel McDonald, who worked for us again, who worked on all of that. So whenever you have a consistent voice director that knows and works with the writers so intimately during the script development and then works in the studio with the actors to do all that, you're going to bring out some other range in the characters you never had before. I, I think we-, we experienced a huge level up in the quality of voice acting in this one. Uh, from for uh, not as much for Battleborn because I'm really proud of the work that we did there, but definitely for mm-hmm. Borderlands 2 and the pre sequel, I think we really we really brought it a long ways. I think you know we uh-huh. still have a lot of voices, and occasionally you can find you know there there might be an echo log uh, or two in there that that was done by a non professional voice actor, like maybe mm-hmm. maybe when you meet Lorelai and you go in and you. You, uh, you hear, uh, an echo log from a Malawan trooper who's talking about a glorious day to kill people and all that. There's a, there's a really cool echo log that you can find in there that, that was done by, uh, let me just say internal gearbox talent. Uh, I won't mention course, any names, yeah, but we, we you know. You don't know who,
0: no. Yeah, uh, you don't know
2: who, you don't
0: know who. Mysterious. But mysterious. Now, I noticed that, I noticed that for actually several different logs, that there's several different uh, developers, et cetera, over there at Gearbox mm-hmm. having like a cameo, you know, experience with some, you know, random characters with they have those, those logs and playing. And I, I thought that was a nice touch to, if you hear those and if you're paying attention and you've been following, you know, you guys for a long time, you're like, mm-hmm. That sounds familiar. Wait a minute, and you just listen to it again and again. You go, "Hey, hey, that might be that one guy Randy, or that might be uh, <laughs> Meredith." You know, hey, yeah. what's going on here? Yeah,
2: those those are definitely around there. And I like every one of our writers got a a pretty good part. Uh, Sam Winkler is the barista bot mm-hmm. uh, when oh, you go okay. do that. So that's that's pretty much Sam. <laughs> I hear that every time he comes up. I'm like, oh, it's just Sam serving you coffee, and it's great. Uh, if you did the mission for uh, Ava's Ava's diary, where uh, the Malawan Trooper pri- oh, I love that. Private, private beans, beans or whatever. that's yeah, Danny yeah. Homan uh, doing like private stuff. beans. He does tremendously good. Uh, then uh, Connor is Chad. Connor Cleary, our writer. So he does Swamp Bro. He does all of Chad's dialogue. Nice. He also does um, Mouthpiece in the beginning. Oh, yeah. So he does, uh, Connor's actually pretty versatile. He's really, he's, he's legitimately almost a voice actor. And so we, we used him for several parts and he's pretty good. Um, our, our, uh, cinematics, our motion graphics guy who did a lot of, he did the Marcus intro. He did a lot of the other cinema, little, little movies and stuff. He did all of the, all of the, uh, the buff film buff films that you see in there. A guy named Mike Costner nice. is also the voice of Typhon. So, uh, uh awesome. Typhon, who people have asked, <laughs> i I will, I will give you, I will give you a nugget here. People have asked. Hey man, you should have gotten Danny DeVito for that part. <laughs> yeah, we thought about that. Is it obvious?
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah,
0: Matt Matt does a nice portrayal of uh, Typhon, right Matt?
1: I have I've done it before. I, I don't think I can do it on command with, oh, with the man oh, right? no. no, no come I got to hear on, it, now. I got to hear it now. The
0: heat is on.
1: Come on. I can't <laughs> possibly. No. It's not going to come out. It's not no, going okay, to come
0: out. Okay. Oh, the pressure was too high. Everybody. Okay. Well, you just when that?
2: we're not expecting it a moment, throw in some typhon and you you get yourself all go, worked yeah. up. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, we, we actually did think like we, we had this idea early on for Typhon where we wanted, um, we wanted that moment where, when you actually meet the first vault hunter, he doesn't look like this heroic epic figure that mm. you, you expect him to be. So we spent some time early. They gave yourself some of the posters and stuff to, to misdirect a little bit, but, uh, we always knew what he was really going to look like when you found him. Like we just early on, it's like I mean, basically draw Danny DeVito and, uh, and we'll go from there. And uh, we, we actually uh, uh, did a little looking into that and it, it just wasn't going to work out with scheduling wise. So it turns out our Mike Costner does a pretty amazing, I won't say impersonation. He brought in his kind of own, like a, a New Yorker to it, but did a really mm-hmm. great voice for it. And it, it was really kind of what we wanted on Typhon. So uh, he's he's a again another really talented dude. Um, uh, so we we got to yep. use a lot of our even our narrative team. And of course, Randy Pitchford is in on a crazy mm-hmm. crazy, crazy Earl, Earl again. Yep. Uh, I want to say that Paul Sage did service bots or Tinks or like we 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 have so many voices that we need that mm-hmm. um, we we definitely reach around the studio when we can. And uh, and pull people in.
0: Ash was saying something about one of his dogs got to be uh, one of the skag puppies or something <laughs> mm-hmm. like that. So oh, I was like, yeah, oh, that's really cool.
2: The divisive yeah. skag puppy uh, yelp noise.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't want to shoot course, skags. Uh, yeah. well, this not so nice. I don't want to, yeah, I love dogs. Oh God. dogs. I,
1: everybody shoots at my skag, So, I mean, <laughs> exactly. it's unfair that I shoot at theirs. I did want to ask since you're talking about, you know, bringing in so many internal people and we've seen it and heard it and you know, from people's Twitters and in the credits and everything, is it something that you guys just put out like a call? Like, Hey, we need some voice actors for this or that. Or is it kind of like a reward for people who have cool ideas? Well, if you put that in or pulled that up, maybe do you want to have a a role here or there? Is it just, how does, how does that go down?
2: It's, it's almost always professionally done again. And this is the, the big advantage of having Joel in the studio. When, when Joel got here, uh, we brought him on when we formed the narrative department, again, all in, in early 2018. One of the first things Joel, Joel did, because he knew that we used a lot of, in previous Borderlands and in, in Battleborn, had used a lot of in-studio uh, uh, voices. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joel actually did, for a couple of months before we had a lot of script for him to record, he didn't have a lot to do, uh, so he spent a couple of months, literally an open call for auditions in Gearbox. And it wasn't auditions for specific parts at that point. Yeah. Basically what he did is had people come into the studio. He had a couple of lines where he said, look, just, just do some voices. Show me what you got. And show me what you got. And, uh, brought him into the studio and, and recorded that. And then he made this huge list of notes of like, okay, here's some people that are like actually close to professional voice actor talent and then here's Mm. the range from there and as we is then when we got to parts like most of the major parts we did formal external casting calls we go through agents we go through agencies we get auditions in we put them in those pools and and then what joel did is he took those pools and if there were times that we had gearbox people that could he said you know what I remember something from this voice over here that actually works better for the part than anything else I've heard. Then mm-hmm. he would pull those people in. And as you get to like the secondary parts, you, you're literally getting to Malawan Shield Trooper 4, you know, and you right. need someone to read an echo log. And a lot of those things, by the way, just come in real late in the process. You know, mm-hmm. March was ooh, March this year was something special. Uh, And we're writing you know we're at those last deadlines to get so because everything by the way remember everything that we record and write has to be sent to our translation departments our localization departments and they have to do they have to cast and record everything in like eight or nine 10 11 I forget what the count is this time different languages. And record mm-hmm. all that, and that, that has to come all back to us so we can put it in the game for release. So we have to finish that stuff really, really, really early and get it in and integrated. And we were we were redlining on it this project. So, but yeah, when you're getting to those last few weeks and like, man, we need an echo log to go here. Like, ah, uh, you in the hall? Can you come here? Jump at <laughs> the booth. And, and it was really cool, you know. And in mm-hmm. uh, um, it's only been since uh, we moved to the new building, which we did right in the middle of Battleborn shipping. Uh, that uh, that we've been able to rec- do all our recording, almost all our recording in-house in Gearbox. We have our own booth there and we can do all that. So it's a lot, it's very easy now for us to do that. And we have a professional sound studio, professional engineer on that, now professional VO director. So we we mostly, employees are used for filler uh, with a mm-hmm. couple of exceptions. Like uh, again, Mike Coster when we needed to cast Typhon, we looked at a couple of options, but we didn't find anybody. He, he was the Typhon for our read-throughs. And it's like, man, we've just kind of got his voice in our head now. That's what mm-hmm. we want. And we can either keep trying to cast for that, or we can just cast him as that. And mm-hmm. it was the same thing with uh, Elisa Melendez, who is our one of our um, our new media manager in Gearbox, who's mm-hmm. Tyreen. Uh, she read mm-hmm. Tyreen while we were reading. In fact, even before we had gone full social media with the Clipso Twins. And she got mm-hmm. the part and moved on with that. So, uh, it's it, it's a. It was a very deliberate process this time. I know some people are like, it seems really haphazard or whatever. No, no, it was very. It was very planned. Uh, but we do have to kind of. You do kind of weigh like this is a really important part, and we need someone who can actually bring a tremendous range to it. Versus like this is Echo Log Number Seventeen and this might be really fun for this game designer who just wants to hear their voice in the game to to do something so there's, there's a i would mm-hmm. say there's no reward element in it there is a little bit of that it's it's kind of real pro- this is honestly the first gearbox game i've had any spoken parts in mm-hmm. uh and i that's not a bad thing i'm not i like i look i i listen to all the professional vo actors and as much as i like to talk there are people who act much better than i do and i'm i'm grateful to get to work with those people But it's 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 cool to have your voice in the game,
0: which I thought was just fantastic because, you know, we've been watching Elisa on the streams and stuff for years now when when she started with the Battleborn and and then getting her in this game and just knocking it out of the park. Yeah, Yeah. she's tremendous. Just making a making a siren that was just awesome, just an awesome bad guy, a lot of character, a lot of flavor to it. I was like, wow, that's crazy. You know, just someone who's there for a whole different purpose was able to bring that kind of attitude, that kind of character to the to the game and good choice. Fantastic yeah, choice. Definitely. Before we got too far away, I just wanted to ask, the posters you put up of Typhon. Now, this is where you tricked me because the posters look just like Troy basically. Oh, do they? You think so? Yes. I huh. think so. Anyway, I think they look a lot like huh. Troy. So, of course, I went immediately. I went Okay, that Typhon's Troy's and Tyrene's dad. So I figured it out instantly, but it was because I thought, I thought, I was like, yeah, father's son, that makes a lot of sense. And then, of course, when I saw the little, you know, Danny DeVito like stubbly guy, I went, what in the world? And then Matt points out, you know, he's like, Eric, why didn't you think that was what he was, he said he worked on a poop farm all the time and da 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 da. And I was like, yeah, you're right, I guess.
1: Uh, that's that's what I was gonna say. Is I like that there were if you were finding all the typhon logs, you you got the little hints of it. And you're like, ah, oh, I, I just po- hid myself under a pile of turds and put a backhand on myself. And somebody who looks like <laughs> it wasn't good. It wasn't Verhuvian as good as it backham. has been. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But <laughs> Which I for someone who heart. who looks like that poster, that the the voice and the actions didn't match up. So if you were yeah. following them all, you could kind of see a little bit of it coming. So I appreciate that the. If you're looking for it, the little the little hints are there, and, and I think I see what you're talking about, Eric. Because I mean, I did one of my Borderlands three Inktober's was one of the Typhon posters. You can mm-hmm. kind of see that angular, yeah. you know, the, the shape yeah, of his along. face. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna fits have in to go Troy back and bit.
2: look at them now because now that you mention it, it it probably is true. Like when we asked them to do the kind of the the, the heroized version of Typhon, mm-hmm. it makes sense that they would they would pull from Troy and 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 bring out that resemblance there. Because we were trying to, in so many places of the game, layer in hints or teases about what was coming and and mm-hmm. let smart people put those together. So congratulations, smart people. You put those together.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, now, of course, I have a question here from Ryan Pearson. So I'm going to get this out here. It was I absolutely loved Life of the Party side quest. Which side quest is your favorite from the Borderlands franchise? It doesn't have to be three, but it can be. Oh,
2: franchise!
0: Oh, now I can give you some time here. I'll buy a time. Oh my goodness! I, I thought the sparrow and grouse side quest this time around in Borland mm. Street was fantastic. Everything that had to do with those two characters, I thought, was gold. Mm. I loved their interactions. I loved it when you went to the therapist. I loved it, of course, after the big uh, Typhon you know, debacle. Mm-hmm. Their interactions together and actually showing that they cared. I love the abomination they created. All of it.
1: I l- I like the little like angel and devil on your shoulder aspect of those two. Where like yeah. as as the transmissions were going on, you'd be like, oh, come on, we should save this guy. No, we should kill him. Oh, well, actually, you're kind of right. Kill this guy, and then they'd kind of end up as a compromise. I do feel bad though because I wanted to do the therapist quest nonviolently, but as you soon can't. as he shot me, my skag <laughs> went and ate him and I went, oh, mm-hmm. you killed him How could you and I went, Oh man, thanks for protecting me mr beef so
2: okay i uh, i'm I'm gonna give you
1: I'm
2: gonna give you three answers because it's gonna be really hard for me to to pick uh, between Go these for three it. uh <laughs> Two in Borderlands 2 and one in Borderlands 3. And that's not saying that I don't have a lot of other favorite side missions in Borderlands 3, but they're, they're three that stand out to me for very different reasons. Um, my number three, I'll go I'll go in reverse order. Uh, my number three in Borderlands 2, if you're following all the numbers here, uh, mm-hmm. is, yeah. is the uh, Shooty McFace mission. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: that's a classic.
2: To me, it, it was always... There's a heart of the the irreverent oddity of Borderlands that that mission just sums up. Like, he, it's a bandit. He wants you to shoot him in the face. And it was mm-hmm. so simple. It was really honest. I think it was just tucked in there because we needed something to go in that space. We need a little mm-hmm. filler mission, and we didn't have any time. So someone just wrote that, and it ended up being just, just everything together. You know, it's just the dumbest thing ever. So that, that I always bring that up as a good mm-hmm. example of just stupidity that's fun in Borderlands. And I don't think we're ever going to lose that from the heart of what we do because it, it's it's – it's it's the insanity of, of the universe that we're in. It yeah.
0: was perfect. Uh, we we used to drink beers, lots of beers, and play Borderlands too. That was uh, what we did. And the first time encountering him across that cliff, and I'm just hearing, "Shoot me in the face!" Oh my god! Oh my god! Right now! And I'm, you know, mind you, I've had a few beers at this point, and I'm just like, "What in the holy hell is happening right now?" <laughs> did
2: you? I mean, have you ever gone back and like shot him in other places, not his face?
1: You can't not shoot him in the face. No, I never have. If you
2: ever go back and play, play that in Borderlands 2, try shooting him in other places. There's actually a whole series of dialogue that plays, I saw my face and all sorts of other things that lines at play. If you, if you don't shoot him awesome. in the face. So there's, there's some fun, there's some fun toy-ness of that, of that yeah, toy-likeness of, of that, that mission. It's really cool. My number two is wow. Swamp Bro. I love Chatted. Um, uh, mm-hmm. I think he's, I think he's the best. That, that again, it, and probably because to me, I'm an idiot and I like, I like shooting McFace and I like Chad. <laughs> I like Swamp Bro quite a bit.
0: Totally Sane Sid, right? Is that his name? Yes. Uh, totally Sane
1: Sid, yeah.
2: I like him. I like them both there because, um, again, I I really like off the wall humor. You know, I grew up on Monty Python and Farside mm-hmm. and and uh, Piers Anthony, if anybody's ever read that. That's where my puns come from. I'm sorry, everybody. Uh, <laughs> but I, I love those missions that do that, that surprise me and are really dumb. Uh on, on the less dumb side, but but one of the I think the best examples of the mix of dark humor and drama that Borderlands can have uh, is Tina's Tea Party mission in Borderlands mm-hmm. 2. You know, it's you, you meet her and get the bombs in the main quest line. But a lot of people forget that other mission of, of, of helping her get all the elements. There's actually a two or three mission string of getting all the parts mm-hmm. of the Tea Party and setting it up. And it's ridiculous stuff. You're getting Sir Reginald, and then you're getting the crumpets, and you're getting the tea, and you're getting all the stuff and all of that. And then you go, uh, you go get. And if you ever looked on that table in the tea party, you know it's got the nameplate yep. for mm-hmm. uh, I forget exactly what it says, but that the, the bastard that killed my parents. And it's a tiny. Mm-hmm. You have to really zoom in at Borderlands 2 and look at that. And I remember the first time I was playing that mission, I'm like, oh, this is really fun. Tina's a cool character. Ha, ha, ha. We're getting the Alice in Wonderland vibe. And that first time for me, it clicked of exactly what what Anthony Birch was doing with Tina on that mission and where it was going. I'm like, oh, man, that got dark and deep all of a sudden. And it was one of those moments that it makes it okay for a 13-year-old girl to be alone in the Borderlands. is because mm-hmm. you realize why she got to where she was. And how she mm-hmm. survived this long and, and what she's willing to do now to to continue to survive there. It did a lot of things right for me. And and to me, in, in many cases, that that that's my one of my personal gold standards for how I evaluate Borderlands missions in our game. Like when when we can hit comedy and drama and dark humor and just all of that at the same time, and just some messed up stuff, mm-hmm. I, I think that's where Borderlands really speaks to us. You know, and it's a it's another revenge fantasy tucked inside a revenge fantasy. But man, there's some parts of me that can really relate to Tina.
0: Ryan Peterson also mentioned, and I want to add to that because "Life of the Party," he said, was one of his favorite side quests from Borderlands Three. And I'd have to agree. I really that one kind of was unexpected. Mm -hmm. I didn't I didn't see it coming. You know, I was like, okay, we're gonna go on this goofy mission. It's gonna be this rambunctious, tiny Tina kind of version (laughs) girl, and it's gonna be funny. And I get there, and she's dead, and I'm like, uh, all right, that sucks what what what's going on now'
1: <laughs> like say, and on top of that, when I started it, I was like, oh well you know i'm I'm just gonna do it straight through for the gun and just do all the challenges but and I did the cake one, and then as I slowly get closer <laughs> yeah. to to outdoing her record, it's like this makes you feel worse and worse and worse, like it's just such well done like heavy writing in that you can yeah you know everything the dad says mordecai's kind of giving you the elbow just like, hey hey, come on hey hey, hey,
0: hey, come on please let's knock it off and you're like oh man i really should but the evil part of me was like well most people are gonna stop i want to see what happens if you don't Hmm. but i couldn't because like you said the writing was so good that i was like nah it's messed up i can't no i can't do it i I
1: will (laughs) say i did about i did two out of the three but then i was like oh i even telling myself I'll do it through this one time and not do it next time, I just couldn't do it.
2: Yeah, there's another one. Um, shoot, I have to go back and remember because I'm I'm still in the phase for Borderlands Three where I'm remapping all the development names of missions to oh, the yeah, to yeah. the to the shipping <laughs> names because we, cha- we we lock them in so late. Um, it's the mission where you drive the old guy around. Um, oh it yeah, called, yeah, it was called baby. Oh it was called, yes. it was called Baby Driver for the longest time, but that's not what we shipped with. Yes. It was um something the elderly i think um oh my gosh Hi. that's another it's another great mission where you know you want to get into that it's one where uh, where you can, um, you can make a choice, like you're talking about with, with that one of like, how far do you want to push it? You actually don't have to take the old dude everywhere. You can, <laughs> you can actually get rid of him early on and finish the mission. <laughs> but, you know, it's one of those that plays on. And I, I, these are the, the actually, these are, this is a really great topic. It's a mission I love the most because they open up player agency, right? You, mm-hmm. you as a player get to have a part in deciding where your line is, you know, where you want to go and how far you want to take it. And, and sometimes there's this little dare uh, of like, how far will the developers go with this? And it, I think sometimes it pushes you past your own comfort zone because you want to mm-hmm. see like, I'm not comfortable with this, but where are they going to go with this? If I take it to the next step, are mm-hmm. they? And that's really cool. That's it always reminds me there was when I worked at Ensemble Studio. There was a there was on the network. There was a network. Everybody had their own network folders, right? That had your name on it. And the person who is a, the, the chief financial or, chi, or chi, one of the chief officers of the company, a guy named Harder Ryan, had a network folder that if you went and looked in it, he had a folder in it that says, don't open this folder. And occurs, of course, the first thing everybody does is you, know, you click the don't open this folder folder. Mm-hmm. And inside that folder, there's, there's seriously, don't open this folder. And you click the next one and it says, no, IT is tracking this. Don't open any more folders. Mm-hmm. And he gets to the point. I never. I actually never. I was. I was only a part timer. I never got had the the, the courage to go beyond <laughs> that. So so I I you know. But it was always one of those things like how far will they go? And is this just for the last? or are they going to go really dark with this? And I think Borderlands does that with some of our missions sometimes. And there's two or three in, in BL three that do that that are that are really fun.
0: Which I will state that that mission with the old man was fantastic as well. I was like, what and what is going on right now? He will not shut up. He is going insane.
1: <laughs> and, and the whole time I was going through, I was like, man, I really don't like this guy. Obviously, his daughter doesn't either. I kept waiting for like the turning point. It never even crossed my mind to get rid of him myself.
0: No, I know. I dragged him around I, the whole time. Uh, I the, brought the, him back
1: <laughs> in, and she went, thanks a lot. And I went, I guess. Yeah, it's called oh, the Feeble
2: oh. and the Furious, if anybody wants to go uh, try it. out. it <laughs> is. Yeah. It's in in Devil's Razor uh, back in, when you get uh, Pandora there.
0: And the best part is, is I drive like a maniac anyway. <laughs> Crashing into things constantly, and so he's just going to town on me the whole time, and I'm, oh, it was it was good. I okay,
2: you, if you drive like a maniac, I, I want to know, do you have the best horn in the game equipped?
0: Probably not. I bet he doesn't. I, I've never sounded a horn in my life. <laughs> 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 Which, now you say it, I should.
2: <laughs> so uh, you you know that horns are attached to the vehicle skins. So if you change a vehicle skin, you have different horns. Have you played with that yet? I, I didn't nope, even know. I that. I have
0: never sounded a horn in my life. This is one of these little. <laughs> these are one
2: of these. Yeah, find the find the horn button. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, go through the horn. So have you? Do you think you've done all the side quests in the game?
0: Uh, almost all, if not all. There mm. might be one or two random ones here and there, but I'd say I've got most of them.
2: Did you do the rumble in the jungle? Side quest.
1: I definitely did.
0: It sounds familiar. Yeah. All right. That's you, the
1: one with the with the jabbers and the Saurians, right? That's 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 right. Yes, that's right. Yep,
0: I did that one. I love
2: that I, one. I think yes. that's where you we reward you with a skin uh, or uh, a vehicle skin for that. Let um, me just encourage you if you want to have a good time next time you're Borderlands Three. Find that vehicle skin and, and put it on. Then test out your horn. Try the others first. Work up to that mm-hmm. one. And then, uh, and then let me know uh, what you think about that horn. You know, give me your ten out of ten <laughs> rating on the, that that particular horn. Awesome. Uh, because there's some there's some really good horns. I'm just gonna say that, and they're in there. But but if, if your your listeners are listening and you haven't changed vehicle skins and tried out the horns, many of them change the horn on the vehicle, and so it's a, it's a fun thing to play with, especially if you're in co-op. My co op, my co op buddies and I go out of our way now to equip different our favorite different horns and annoy each other with them. It's it's amazing.
1: Awesome.
0: Anything I can do to make Matt even angrier? (laughs) That sounds (laughs) yeah, that sounds like a noble goal.
1: (laughs) I was going to say I think the only time I've honked a horn in Borderlands Three was when I was trying to find the boost button the very first time because Eric's usually the driver. So going through Borderlands Three the first time solo, I was like, well, I don't remember how to drive. And I, I kept hearing horn go off, and I went, Who, who's around me? Oh, oh, I, okay, that's not the boost button anymore. So, yeah, I'll definitely check it out.
0: Now, I'm going to move us here to the end of uh, the, the story, because I, I got to know something here, and it's been bugging me since I beat the game. All right, maybe you can answer this. So, Tyreen Troy... They yes. wanted, you know, they wanted to go ahead and get all the powers from the, the, the vault beasts, you know, absorb them all up, take over the whole world, become gods. And I've, of course, made my own ending and makes sense. And I'm thinking it's probably that, But Troy doesn't make it. Tyrene, instead of... Because the whole goal here was to kill the beast. And then she was going to absorb the power and become a goddess. Mm-hmm. But at the very end there, she didn't even try any of that. She just literally was absorbed into the, uh, the, uh, the destroyer, the destroyer. So, and it didn't really explain why she did that instead of the mid original plan, except for, of course you had Tannis with you. And so was she, was she on to what was going on? That Tannis was going to thwart that whole thing and she wasn't going to be able to, uh, take the powers or, you know, what happened with that? If, if you, if you know, anyway,
2: that's a great question. Um, the, the intent That we originally went with And I can see where the confusion comes in Was that she kind of did absorb the beast but it also was big enough she, she probably underestimated a little bit the destroyer absorbed mm-hmm. her in turn and and so what you get when when you actually see tyrene the destroyer again is is a combination of both it's still got okay part of tyrene on there and then still only part of the destroyer i mean what what we imply with the destroyer is it's actually pandora is its prison it literally mm-hmm. is pandora is pandora's box and it's holding the destroyer in, and then and, and the the whole machine that was set up on Necrotafeo with all of the planets is a prison that the Iridian, who knows how long ago, set up to lock that destroyer in there and never let it out. Mm-hmm. You know, in Borderlands One, you fight a, the pinky of the destroyer is kind of in, in kind of a retconny type of way is really what it is. There, you didn't kill mm-hmm. the destroyer, you killed its you killed its left pinky. Uh, here you find out that there's a lot more to it down there that, that can be let out. And, uh, Tyreen has broken its chains and let it out. So you, you fight it, uh, and kill, kill her merged with it. You know, there's probably a lot of open places we could go of whether or not it actually destroyed mm-hmm. the destroyer. But I think the safest bet to say is, uh, you, you have, you, the powerful vault hunter, using your overpowered legendaries, have slain the destroyer. Uh, and killed it and uh, have also taken Tyrene, who was merged into it. So she got part of what she wanted. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it just didn't go the way you wanted. And, and you turns out, you know, four really sassy vault hunters are, are more powerful than a goddess. So, hey, good job. <laughs> good job, y'all.
0: You did it. Yeah, I don't know about all that. <laughs> <laughs> As you've already alluded to, I'm pretty sure that's just another piece. But but no, it it just was because it, it felt like she, she knew that the Destroyer was, you know, pretty large scale. Yeah. Because, of course, she the whole time was trying to unlock it, and by undoing that, unlocking Pandora, which is the Destroyer. But uh, then she just kind of, you know, I guess you're right. I mean, she just got overconfident, thought she was going to be able to just take it over and... You know, as we saw, it really mostly—it seemed to me mostly—took her over, really. And you were just fighting, you know, another machination mm-hmm. of the destroyer itself. So, so I was just wondering if that was intentional or if that was just kind of like uh, part of the story and how that went down. But you know, yeah.
2: it was—you know, know, every every one of our great ambitions all, always gets tempered by the amount of actually time and budget we have to spend on a on a you know one of the the several boss fights in the game. So. There were probably some original dreams or that was, you know, even bigger than it was at the end and would have looked a little bit more planetary in scale. But, you know, at the end, it, it, it still kind of did what we needed for it to do. I think story wise, mm-hmm. Tyrene mm-hmm. went down to the destroyer. She unleashed it. She she tried to leech it, you know, and combined her forces with its forces. I mean, it, the, the, the creature that you fight at the end is Tyrene, the destroyer It really is two mm-hmm. in one merged together mm-hmm. And uh probably still in its infancy, you're able to take it out before she really realized how to how to wield all the powers. So
0: how to utilize who boy,
2: gadget. that was a close call. You guys saved the universe again. Good job. Ha-huh. Uh-huh.
0: Thank you. We're so glad we <laughs> can do that. Oh, wonderful.
1: <laughs> so we got to the end. now, obviously looking forward is the part where you can't talk about a lot, but a lot of our patrons are asking like, our Ryan Peterson again asks: Will Borderlands Three DLCs continue plot threads for the main campaign, like the Commander Lilith DLC, or be more standalone? I don't know if that's even something you can mention at all, but he, he, they're looking for like the, the tiniest little hints of.
2: We've not. Tiny, genius, dragon,
1: <laughs> we've not said yet, and
2: you're asking very dangerous <laughs> questions of me right now because I know yeah. I, there's whole marketing campaigns behind uh, mm-hmm. getting yeah, those. Uh, here's what I will say: Is they all. Unlike or more like Borderlands Two, um, mm. they are all four of the DLCs in the Season Pass are story-based DLCs. They are full okay. stories in and themselves. They are, I, I think, even bigger than anything, and and, and they are they're all big. DLC One's going to be tremendous. Two is going to blow your minds. Three, I've seen some awesome stuff this on this this week on three that is. I think it's going to be tremendously fun. And then four, I can't even, I, I can't even start. Uh, four, <laughs> yeah, it's, but the, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're going to release over the, the next few months, next year. I, I we haven't said, mm-hmm. said anything specific on that, but you're going to start hearing information very, very soon. And I think, I think you're going to be very, very happy, uh, with, uh, with where the DLCs are going. Are they continue? So that I will, I will say that. Most of them are designed to be played within the campaign, uh, and, mm-hmm. and there's a real practical uh, uh, level or, or, or practical reason to that is that we want you to be able if you get, if, if someone buys a DLC but hasn't finished the main game campaign, we we hate that you would have to wait another what ten fifteen twenty hours before you get to mm-hmm. take advantage of the money you've just spent. So. We definitely have some DLCs that are designed to, to start, let you start at lower levels, you know, like we have before. And now that we have the level balancing in them, we can be even a little bit more open. I think in, in Borderlands 2, you could go play, you could go play uh, the, the Captain Scarlet, I think starting at level 10 or something. Mm -hmm. Um, about the same time, it'll, it'll, I think when you get, I think actually when you get to Sanctuary, it'll unlock for you. I think we're still working out the details there on, on most of those. But there will be some DLC parts, and I won't talk about which or which ones that will take you beyond the end of the story that exists in the main game. So there is more core plot story to come and some elaboration on that, even within the DLCs. Uh, so a little bit of both is your answer. You get the best of both worlds.
1: Oh, hey, I dig awesome. it. That sounds I like great. It. Hey, exactly. And I
2: don't think I'm going to get fired for saying any of that. If, uh, if, uh, no. yeah. I think I'm good.
0: The ninjas, the ninjas. You can Ah. just come live over behind our house here. We got some some land for you. You'll be all right. (laughs) We're going to camp
2: forever. It's going to be great. Exactly.
0: It's a beautiful camper. You're going to love it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. Now, I know we're jumping off of the Borderlands Street, but you didn't mention at all the fact that you've been writing a book.
2: (laughs) Oh, you want to hear about the book?
0: Yes, Mm -hmm. I surely do, because I'm a huge fantasy reader. I've been reading fantasy my entire life, and of course, I heard long time ago that you were starting a book up, and you were going all sort of uh, all sorts of writer cons, et cetera. Et cetera. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think you're going to be in one next year. I was in so, one this year, yeah. Oh, and one this year, yeah. yeah. You were in one earlier, yeah. That's right. And yeah, they got you for 2020 too, I believe. So, oh wow, somebody does. Someone does. somebody's got you listed as 2020, some kind <laughs> of writer con. So I was looking, I was looking it up, and I was like, oh,
2: Randy Reynolds. Oh, okay, really? Cool. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So,
0: <laughs> congratulations, sir! You've been invited to WriterCon 2020.
2: Well, I know I'm go- what I'm googling to when we're when we're done with this conversation. Well, <laughs> it's like, yeah, it, it, it happens sometimes, and I'm I, you know, me, I I can't shut up, as, as evidenced by the fact that we've been talking now for over two hours.
0: Oh, I know. That's why I'm trying here. Yeah, I want to get you in gonna, trouble. Where it's like, oh, I was at three hours with these guys.
2: Oh, I'm fine. I just know that you guys are going to want to edit some of this. So <laughs>
0: that's that's um. Danny's job. We're, we're just doing yeah, fun we're, stuff. We're just, fine. <laughs> we don't care what she's got to do. You know, my my right. job is
2: to produce content. It's Danny's job to figure out which of it's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's cool. Uh, yeah. I, so I, I, you know, obviously, I'm um, I, so I, I just got a new title at Gearbox. Uh, we've rebranded the narrative team as the Gearbox Story Group. Uh, oh, kind of patterned off of, I, I mean, again, big Star Wars nerd. And Lucasfilm has a Lucas the Lucas Story Group. And what their story group does is they not only do they write some stuff here and there, but they oversee all of the writing in the Star Wars, all of the, the extra expanded universe and extended universe and extra canon, and all that. They kind of look at all of that to be sure that anything that's done in universe, it fits within the universe and is, is, uh, is to their standards of quality. And that's one thing that our group is doing. We've actually been involved in all the trailers and all the marketing. we're looking at, at some other expanded stuff like every time we make merchandise it, you know little text blurbs that go in the back of pop cap figures or whatever gets sent to us <laughs> and we look at to be sure that it's lore that's appropriate. So we wanted something that, that, that had story and it was still understandable understand that we, we were very involved in that. But I love the I love what Lucas kind of paved the the trail and kind of shown us a way to go there. So as hopefully as Gearbox gets bigger and bigger and we do more and more Borderlands and more and more Battleborn and more and more other properties, uh, you'll you'll
0: get to see the, you the know. new the new Brothers in Arms. That's oh sure, right around the corner. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, <laughs> but we you'll get wink, you'll get this. wink once we can totally see. You, Randy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but that's cool. So I the the reason I mention that is um, you know I'm. I, Obviously, I'm, I, you know, I'm there because I care a lot about story, and like you, I'm, dude. I, like one someday we should compare our Goodreads accounts because I don't know how. Oh, many, I would love to. I don't know. We, don't we should make friend, we, we, we should <laughs> friend up on Goodreads. I need to update mine. I'm probably about fifty books uh, behind of the thousand five hundred or so that I have marked on there. I've, I've read, read a lot. Love fantasy. Love sci-fi. Read a lot of authors. I've always done it, and I've been like. Since like the early MMO days, when I was doing the weird stuff, like in EverQuest, I actually formed a bard's guild and we wrote poetry and performed it in game. It was the dumbest thing ever, but people seemed to enjoy it. was <laughs> uh, awesome. And uh, and and we did that. And so uh, since then, you know, I've, I've always dabbled at writing and I've written some fanficky type stuff on forums and all of that, and you know, did a lot of writing and narrative design in Battleborn with with Aaron Lindy and and helped. I won't take a lot of credit for what Birch did up. Well, too he did most of that himself, but I gave him some feedback here and there and he's he's super cool but uh I've, I've always wanted to uh, to write my own and and uh you know like I mentioned earlier, asking you know what's the difference between Battleborn when you're in charge and, and, and running a narrative team where you have a lot of people well in both cases you still have a lot of people who are like, well, I don't like that story, that character could be stronger and all that and well, you can't write this because we don't have the time to make art assets for it and like, all right, well, I guess whatever. So, you know, it, it was in 2016 um, uh, that literally when, when Battleborn was really struggling that I needed a, a, a kind of a release valve, personal release valve to, to work out what mm-hmm. I wanted to do. It said, you know what? I've, mm-hmm. I've, I've always written. I've got some – I've got some little samples and snippets of stuff that I've written, but I thought I thought was pretty good. So maybe I'll I'll sit down and it was one of the it was November, in fact, because it was the uh, the the Nano the National Write a Novel in a in a mm-hmm. Month thing. And I'm like I'm going to write a novel in a month, so I I started up my my, my daughter who uh, is 22 now. She's actually working in QA at Gearbox, following in her father's like her father before her. Oh, fantastic. Uh, uh she she challenged me to that cuz she'd written some some little books she never published them when she was younger but she she was a writer and like that so we're going to write a book and I I'm like cool i have this weird idea i've always been kicking around and 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 started it up uh i'd like to say that i wrote that novel in a month uh but here i am 3 years later and i am i've written <laughs> it and i'm on the third draft uh, mm-hmm. uh you know it turns out it's a it's a big long writing a novel is really different and you write it once and then you read it and you send it to people and they tell you all the things that are wrong with it and you completely restructure it and then you realize all the things you shouldn't have changed and then you do it again you put those things back and you make them better and along the way you kind of learn how to write and so it's been a real cool journey it's it's where i go it's my kind of a blow off steam exercise in the evening but um i, I kind of the way I've, I've described the book it's it's uh i am I I'm about to go uh, through around and, and and get it out some readers and if, if anybody's interested I I certainly love to to have some people that would read read some parts of it and uh mm-hmm. and uh, let me know what they think but hey, uh,
0: always always, we're, in always yeah, yeah. we're we're big readers so mm-hmm. it's
2: uh it's it's kind of like this and and you guys will get this I think you you're probably the the perfect audience for this version of the pitch um if you took Neil Gaiman's American Gods and blended it with a little bit of attack on Titan and a little bit of Forrest Gump, and then wrote a book about that. Uh, it's kind of, kind of where it lives and that that's kind of some motivating big factors. Um, it, it actually pulls in from uh, a lot of my, my background, especially with, with, uh, uh uh, Christian writing uh, and even into Christian mythology into the apocrypha and pseudepigrapha and other 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 bits of those kind of extra biblical writings so i, I the, just to out it i i got uh, i got in a couple of years ago and found this this old old book called the book of enoch enoch is a really interesting character early in the bible it the, the only says a couple of things about him that he lived 360 Enoch by the way was like the grandfather of Methuselah who was like the great great grandfather of Noah so it's like old old genesis in the bible mm. old times mm-hmm. and it says he lived for a lot of a lot of years uh, 365 uh and then was no more because God took him and I always loved that it's like it's right around the part of the bible where it's you know the part that I always loved as a as a young sci-fi nerd is like oh man there's a part where it, it talks about the angels that came down and intermarried with men and what's that all mm-hmm. about and then they they spawned this race of giants and all of that The book of Enoch, the apocryphal book of Enoch goes into that. And dude, it reads like attack on Titan. It talks about these two mile high giants that walked the earth pre flood and ate people and everything. And, and the angels had to come down and battle them and destroy them. And they got buried beneath the earth, but you couldn't kill their spirits. And that's, then that's actually where demons come from. And it it gets into kind of, you've seen this in some other shows like supernatural hits on this. You see some of the other kind of YA fiction and and things touch on some of the stuff, but where the, the fallen angels, the watchers come down and, and get involved with. So I started to imagine like tying some of these things together. And writing this kind of alternate history where imagine that there is a shadow war that's happened behind human history of where these giants, the spirit two high spirit giants still walk the earth and, and pull evil unto themselves, but to combat them, uh, Enoch. Uh, and and some, some strange characters like him have been yanked out of history by higher powers and empowered to to fight the forces of evil. And so I like uh, Enoch is a really fun one because what I wanted to do is my, my kind of forest gumpishness comes into the story. Um, when you first meet Enoch, he's not wearing the name Enoch. He's wearing the name Nicholas, and it's 325 AD, and he's in a place called Nicaea. In a, in a thing called the Nicene Council, convoked by Emperor Constantine, where he brought bishops from across Christendom to come in and talk about all of the, 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 the you know, the first big, I, honestly, I think the first historically recorded, like, multinational gamer convention that ever happened, right? And uh, <laughs> you bring all the bishops there, and, and there's this really great anecdote. You can find this, and it's a little bit legendary and mythological, but it's great. But this guy named Bishop Nicholas was there. And got so mad at this dude named Arius, who was a heret- kind of a heretical Christian uh, bishop at the time, that he walked across this room full of bishops and Emperor Constantine and punched the dude in the face. That Nicholas, Bishop Nicholas, became sainted later, mm-hmm. Saint Nicholas, patron saint of pawnbrokers, oh. sailors, and children, and this is our legend of Santa Claus. It's where Santa Claus mm-hmm. was born. To, oh. I, so I started putting these things together, and I'm like. Oh, you know what? That's not that Nicholas is not a separate dude. It's Enoch. And it's Enoch in disguise. And this is where he would be and what he would be doing. So my Enoch is kind of this 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 gigantic Santa Claus type figure. He's the, the and I tie it all together, but he ends up getting sent by Emperor Constantine to go to the city. It's still Byzantium at the time to go in and, and uncover where this mystical Gothic priestess is seeding evil magic throughout the city and to figure out what's going on there. And it, it gets, goes it does arrive from there, but there's actually three different timelines. There's that one there. I have another timeline with, with Martin Luther in, in Wittenberg mm. <laughs> in Germany of nice 1400 nice. hunting mm-hmm. demons from, from monasteries, which is a thing that apparently he did Uh, paired up awesome. with those, some other c- colorful characters. And I've got a modern, Timeline where it all ties together and it kind of pops back around between the timelines and, and tells the story of this war between light and dark that's been fought been between the pages of history throughout time. So I don't know. It's kind of it's it's got definitely got some fantastical elements, it's got some historical, almost urban fantasy elements in it. And it may suck. I don't know. We'll find out. Uh, but uh I'm at a, I'm at about 185,000 words now so you've got about a 600 page book to look forward nice. to and nice. and uh, within the within the the, uh, the next month I'll hopefully have my epilogue rewritten I'm kind of reworking the last plot thread and getting to that so I'm I uh, definitely before uh, before Christmas this year I'll have a book that I can share around with eager people's and get your feedback so we'll that's see Awesome we'll see Awesome
0: that's admirable <clears throat> admirable <laughs> i've always yeah. dreamed of writing a book but uh yeah the patience i don't have the patience That's you
2: know it, it you have to develop a habit was what i discovered um I, for me you know i my, my habit for years and years had just been i come home you know I, I play with my kids hang out with the wife a little bit and then i go video game mm-hmm. and now both my kids are grown they're in college or working and, and they're out of the house so i have a little bit more time so you know life i'm in a great life phase for it now and I come home, eat dinner with my wife, hang out for a little bit, and then I go r- write for three or four hours, and then I still come home and video game for an hour or two and go to bed sometime. You know, nice. sleep is for the week.
0: That's what I. <laughs> yeah, that's what I say exactly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but thanks for asking about it. It's it's cool and and uh, like I said, I, I'll if you guys are interested, I'll I'll share a I'll share a a, a beta reader copy soon and and let you guys tell me what uh, what you like and what you don't. Oh, I'd love completely. to hear. It.
0: Yeah, I would love, love to read. It'd be it. interesting. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep, like we said, we're both all, I think all of us are readers, so mm. definitely, definitely interested whenever you get that around for uh, sharing, for sure. And of course, we come to the moment when I have a million more questions, I'm going to be yelled at, we're going to mm. be yelled at, because <laughs> so much at it. There, I was going to say, there's too much yeah. that we could have talked about and asked about, especially with Borderlands 3, with it being so fresh and hot, mm. but we can't have a three hour long show. We can't do it. It's not possible. So what we'll have to do is convince you, you know, a few months down the road, maybe after a DLC or two, to come back again or something and uh, have another chat with us.
2: I'd love to. That sounds great. You guys are a lot of fun to talk to. And like, like you've seen, I, I'm not a shy talker.
0: Oh, no. <laughs> I was, I'm was. i sitting there thinking to myself, listening to your story, you kept transitioning yourself into every point I was going to try to push it towards. And I'm like, I don't have to do anything. This is this is really weird. I don't know if this is good or bad. Uh, I'm sorry. I I, I
2: I haven't learned the skill of shutting up yet. I'm one day maybe.
1: It's great, and I mean, we had a whole list of questions, and is it, even as you were going through, I'm like, well, I don't have to ask that one anymore. He's covered this. He's covered that. It's, it was mm-hmm. great. Yeah. So yeah. very cool. It was
0: really cool, and plus, of course, everyone's gonna be listening for you anyway, Randy. They hear us every single week. So nobody it's wants fine. to hear us. Yeah, exactly. It's,
1: they're sick of us by now. <laughs> oh well.
2: Uh, you guys are you guys are so kind. I really do appreciate everything that you've done and and uh, just being able to share the community. Like I love games that we can play together uh, because mm-hmm. I love people. I love you guys. I love everybody that's been in our community and has supported us. Like uh, you know, I won't lie. I also like uh, making games that that make money. I like I like being paid to make up stuff for a living. That's mm-hmm. the weirdest job that I could have imagined ever having, and it's a cool one and what i'm really happy is that some of the things that that i've been able to help create uh, you guys have found fun and entertaining and that's that's the goal and that that really even more than any dollar amount i could put on it makes this all worth it. it it really is a joy to come and talk to you guys and other fans and and to to be able to talk about the process and the the successes and the failures and everything in between
0: well, we appreciate you having me, and we appreciate you and all your team over there rocking out all the awesome games you guys have been putting out there. Absolutely. Like we've said a million times, Battleborn is where we started. You know, mm-hmm. that's why we decided to get into doing the podcast, which we've mm-hmm. talked about before, but we thought that was the perfect jumping on point and had such a great time with it. And, you know, as you know, we uh, we got our secret hopes, our fingers crossed, that we're going to be seeing some more of it down the road. And, of course, we're going to enjoy all the other titles in between because yeah. mm-hmm. we love all of, of them. But, you know what I mean.
1: So I think that wraps it up with Randy Varnell for today. Our, our amazing guest, the Narrative King himself. But of course, as always, if you guys have any questions for us, any comments, any concerns, any future guests you'd like to have on the show, let us know via email at info at thirdshift.me, tweet it at us at thirdshiftme, or find us on Facebook under Third Shift.
0: You can indeed find us over there at Facebook, but you can also find us over on Patreon. If you like what we're doing, like what you hear, consider heading over there, throwing us a buck, two bucks, we treat it just like a tip jar, no big deal. If you've got, a, got some for us, cool. If you don't, hey, you know what, you can support us in so many other ways, such as mailbag questions, feedback of any kind, five-star ratings, none of them four stars. We've been getting them four stars, we want no. the five stars, folks. Come on, the five <laughs> stars, we, we want them. Please, you want stories? we got to get five stars. You can also support us by going over to Twitch, following there, subscribing, all sorts of things you can do that keeps us motivated and in the ring. We love each and every one of you that has in the past and in the future will because that's how we do it here at Third Shift.
1: That's right, and of course this podcast drops every Friday, so we'll be back in your ear holes on the 25th of October for our very next episode. And you can find that episode on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Podbean, on Spotify, and on YouTube. And as I always say, if you like what we're doing and you'd like to help us out, please give us a like, a rating, a review, comment, a subscription, any kind of good thing on any one of those good services because it does help us out. And we really do appreciate it. And before we go, Randy, hey, any social medias you'd like to plug, any, any kind of anythings you'd like to keep the people looking out for, give them teases of any future appearances you'll be doing that you know of off the top of your head? Anything cool like that?
2: <laughs> well, I definitely will plug social media. Um, you know, Certainly, you can find me at Jithri J-Y-T-H-R-I on Twitter uh and then of course Borderlands has got a Twitter account you should follow that there's shift codes and all sorts of stuff you find news about that on there uh media appearances I've got I definitely have one coming up in November we haven't announced it yet but you'll hear more about that soon it'll be overseas so I actually get to do a little bit of, a bit of traveling and all that but oh, nice. uh, and then uh, as we mentioned earlier yes uh the Borderlands show I believe airs on October 30th, so just right around the corner. And uh, cover some different topics that we hit on today. Believe it or not, out of the two hours that we talked, <laughs> uh, you'll hit some different <laughs> stuff there. So if people want to catch me there as well, I'll be on that show with those guys. Uh, a lot of fun.
1: Unless there's anything else, there's nothing else to say. But don't, don't forget, forget to say. say. say.
2: And
0: sit down. <laughs>